0: You're listening to episode 222 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives.
1: I'm Good back, y'all.
0: Oh, Marco's oh, back. Kale.
1: No, go ahead, Kale.
2: I stated donut. That welcome I to the said... episode. What?
3: <laughs> Marco comes in hot, and Kale's like, "Oh no, no, excuse me, I need to tell you what I had for breakfast today. Breakfast? Yeah. Excuse me, do you know what time it is? No." I live in America. It's it's 11 o'clock here. I don't care what time it is over there. Fair enough. (laughs)
0: Okay. So, uh, first of all, I want to say that we have a very special guest on the show this week. Uh, A few weeks ago, we did a review for a book called Made in Korea. Uh, We were wowed by it. We thought it was absolutely brilliant. Tremendous. And so, we sung its praises. And then the writer, Jeremy Holt, sung our praises. And we connected on social media. The way you kids do these days, that thing you guys do, we did that. And Jeremy was kind enough to join us today. So thank you so much, Jeremy Holt, for coming on the show. We really appreciate
4: it. Yeah, of course. Um, I found your, your clip on, of all places, uh, a subreddit. And I was like, oh, what's this? Yeah. And I think we an image oh, subreddit. And I was just like, I, I rarely look at Reddit, but I was like, oh, what's this? And I was like, oh, thoughtful discourse about something I wrote. This is amazing. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, hopefully we can keep that streak going with this interview, <laughs> but
0: don't keep your hopes up. <laughs> not based on the opening, Kayla Marco. I'm not going to do it in front of company. But we've got to have a conversation. Get your house this. in order,
3: right? Sean yeah. and I are staunch professionals. And y'all are just really just phoning it in week after I week. Had,
2: yeah, I yeah, had yeah. Staunch ready? professionals. Yeah, I, you two were gone last week. Didn't even show up to work. I was staunch. Sean was here. I, I was gone. Yeah. I'm,
0: I'm always here. <laughs> I was on vacation. so. <laughs> uh, we're going to have the Civil War of the Comics Pals a little later on. But right now, the focus is going to be on Jeremy Holt, who has written uh, Made in Korea, which I mentioned earlier, that was awesome. And I highly encourage you to check out uh, Virtually Yours, Before Houdini, Skip to the End, Skinner. And all of these books are books that I hadn't heard of. And that's what makes being in comics so much fun. Because the first time you hear of a creator, you're like, oh, my God, this was so great. This is their first work. I can't believe it. And then it's like, no, it's not. I've actually been in the, in the industry for 10 years. <laughs> We're going to get into all of that in just a moment. Before we do, I want to let you guys listening know where you can find the show all over the internet. Of course, we are the Comics Pals. Whatever podcast hosting platform you're listening to us on, make sure that you leave us a like, a rating, a review. If that happens to be YouTube, hit that subscribe button, like the video, share it with your friends. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. Come hang out with us on our Discord server, where we're always having very fun conversations about things that uh, we all love, you know, the geek stuff. Uh, and if you want to write to us, do so at thecomicspals at gmail.com. You guys have been amazing with the comments on YouTube, writing into the show. We really appreciate it. Keep that up. It all means a lot to us. Now, enough about us. Jeremy, made in Korea. I loved it. I thought it was tremendous. It was my pick of the week. Uh, I had such a great time reading it. It hit me right where I live. Uh, Talk about the process of getting this book created um, and what it's like to have, you know, what's been, uh, I I hope, a pretty successful book so far.
4: Well, uh, first of all, thanks for having me on. Um, And yeah, the the genesis for Made in Korea really stems from my love for um, AI narratives. Um, and I've kind of started, I started developing this idea that all really good AI stories at their core is about an adoption experience. And I just had never seen anyone do it directly. And I, I started kind of letting, letting the idea simmer in my brain for a couple of years. And I started writing other things. And and then I decided in 2017 that I was no longer going to write white male cis protagonists. So when I started reviewing all my work, uh, Made in Korea was the one project that I hadn't fully developed, but was the perfect project to work on to explore, you know, the Asian American diaspora that I, I've experienced that I'm leaning more into in the last few years and, and getting in touch with um, just learning Korean and getting know other Korean adoptees as, as a transracial adoptee myself. And so that's kind of where it stemmed from. and then. Uh, a mutual friend connected me with George and their work is amazing. And they're, they've leveled up their work in the past three years since we started working on it. So the art you're seeing now was not what it looked like when it started. It was somewhat similar, but they've really improved just by working on other things. Um, so, yeah, so that was my kind of attempt uh, to pay homage to the AI narrative and to try to reinvent that wheel to a degree and it took a long time to get in with Image, so I am glad that of all the books or pitches they've reviewed, this is the one they went with.
3: So I actually wanted to ask about that because um, I saw uh, you know your your pin tweet um, like a, a, about the actual announcement of the series and everything, and, and you had said that. Um, you know, I'm I'm now uh, an image creator. It only took twelve short years. Um, don't give up on your dreams, kids. This the best ones haven't given up on you. So I wanted to to talk about that a little bit. Like what I mean, I guess, first of all, what has been your kind of journey, I guess, with pitching the image and and why image, I guess. Um, but how does it feel now to to have the first issue out in people's hands and have people reviewing it and all this stuff?
4: Um, so to to answer the first part of that question, um, I was, I am a late bloomer to comics. I, I grew up with them, so to speak. My oldest brother collected them. Um, and so I was familiar with what I think I was reading Jim Lee's run on X-Men, I think. Uh, so I did get kind of captivated by some of the like soap opera storylines between like Jean Grey and Scott and Wolverine and Jubilee and just, you know, and, and uh, Psylocke. And just reading about that was really interesting, but I didn't collect them. So then uh, in 2008, I visited said brother and we just went to a coffee shop to read comics and he handed me The Dark Knight Returns by Frank Miller. And I was blown away by that. And I was like, oh my God, this is where comic books are? And he said, that's like 20 years old. I was like, what now? So then (laughs) I went right to Forbidden Planet in Union Square because I was living in in the West Village at the time. And I was just like, what are people reading? And that's when I fell into the the vertical rabbit hole and then image. And I liked that there wasn't a ton of continuity that I had to keep up with to read these stories. And I liked that they were far outside the superhero genre. So yeah. So when when I started reading those, I I read um, scalped and why the last man were the ones that really influenced me. And then, you know, reading more about uh, Brian K Vaughn's work and then getting into all of his work uh, that inspired me to start writing. So I just started writing comics, not knowing what I was doing. And I wanted to land a, a book at Image just because I liked what they were producing. And a lot of my friends at the time were, were getting series done there. So like my friends, uh, Riley Rosmo and, and Curtis Weave and Ed Burson and um, Donny Cates, Teeny Howard, like all of these people, I kind of were kind of my crew and then they've just all, you know, ascended to great heights. Um Yeah, so that's kind of my, my foray into trying to get in. And then Image, it was just a very weird journey. Nobody gets in an image the same way. There's no one proven way. Even if you have the most perfect pitch, it just might not be the pitch they're looking for at the time. So mm. I can't really rely on that. And I tried everything. And the, and the way I got in was just very unlike anything I had heard of. So the the myths are true. How did you get in? Basically I knew a production editor. Uh, my friend Vincent worked at image. And whenever I was in the Bay area, I would just hang out with some of the, pe- the people that worked there And then I'd been pitching uh, both to Eric Stevenson in person and through their submission uh, email and just not hearing back. And I'd been told, try this, try that, try this. And eventually Vincent sent it on to uh, Marla Isaac, who is basically sort of an executive assistant uh, there. I'm forgetting her her main title. Sorry, Marla. But uh, she was the one who championed it. She was the one who kept saying, I'm going to show this to Eric. I'm going to show it, show it, show it. And that took about a year. And I, at one point around New York Comic-Con, I said, can we just call it time of death? Because I just need to move on with my life. <laughs> and she said, no, 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 no. I, I'm i going to get him to look at it. And so it was like late October or mid-October of 2017, or no, 2018 that she uh, sent me an email and said, you're in. It's like, what? And so oh there was a huge God. delay. And I'd never heard anyone getting in through anyone other than Eric. So, and I didn't speak to Eric directly at all during those conversations. Um, So yeah, it was very surprising. And then uh, George had signed on to another book when we got the green light. So they were gone for a year and then it, then the pandemic hit. And so it all got pushed, but I'm really happy that it came out when it has, because I don't think it would have resonated with readers if it had come out a year ago.
3: So... I think you maybe mentioned that it had been in production for three years. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So how does it feel to, I guess I should ask, is that three years from when you actually started working on it or from when you had the idea and started letting it germate?
4: Um, I'd say the three years uh, from, well, let's see, starting oh, maybe it's like four years actually from basically the concept. So when okay. I pitched the first issue scripts, and the one-page outline to George was in 2017, and I finished scripting the six-issue series Christmas Eve of 2019. So I've been just sitting waiting, and, and and as far as like what it looks like in print and holding it and all that, honestly, I read the first issue hundreds of times over the last couple of years. That I was just convinced, yeah, this is garbage. Like it's not really like actiony, and like it's, it might be too slow for people, and this hook is pathetic. And I was just like, well. We finished the first issue, like, let's just see what happens. So all of the the reviews, I'm just like, maybe I just desensitized myself to what I was writing. Yeah. Um, so it's been just surprising the life it's taken on since it's been out and readers have been, you know, vocalizing how much they like it. <laughs> it it's,
3: it's funny that you bring that up because that was kind of what I was driving to is just I, I can't imagine how tough that must be. To, like hold the torch for something for four years and you know and I feel like we're all, always our own worst critics so that mm-hmm. gives you so much time to sow those seeds of doubt and
4: everything you know <laughs> yeah absolutely and uh, and it's interesting because I knew I had an idea of what this book was gonna do coming out through image like you know like the fact that I've done all these other books that no one has heard of um it's like I, I hustled just as hard on those other books. I did all the PR. I was doing these interviews. I was getting out there. But if it's a small press publisher, you know, most people, it's not going to reach most people. And, you know, I did about the same amount of hustle and, and Image has been super supportive. But how far it's reached outside of what even Image was capable of and what I'm capable of is like, it's just surprising. And But I also know that everybody reads in Image number one. So, um, yeah, the first issue has has uh, changed drastically changed the traje- trajectory of my career in the past three months. Like I'm starting to think about stuff career-wise that was never uh, an option, you know, for the past 10 years. So it's been nice. So I, I'm
3: sure you can't give us the specifics, but like what what kind of stuff are you talking about?
4: Um, Just, you know, uh, well, what I can say is uh, within three weeks of the announcement back in early February, mm-hmm. I found myself having conversations with an executive at William Morris Endeavor, which is a large talent agency in LA. And he had heard about it and he was shopping it around the agency saying like he, his job is to connect people with projects, his clients, clients of WME. And he emailed me and, and my lit agent, like back in February and said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm showing this. Is it okay? If I, show, I show this around the offices. And I was like, sure. And he's like, okay, I've, I've sent it to this filmmaker. I've sent it to that filmmaker. I'm like, what? Like filmmakers I adore? What What's happening? And by the end of February, I had a, a film agent. So she's been systematically going through my catalog and just um, trying to find, you know, new life outside of the comic book medium for them, which has been super exciting. Um, and, you know, there's been a lot of um, serious interest in Made in Korea as far as what it can do outside of comics. So that's been super exciting. The, the comics industry is so it's so interesting because the,
0: the the way that success seems to work here is like you put books out and you know they kind of you know maybe they buzz a bit but it, it's not quite where you want to get and then you do something with image or you know nowadays boom or one of these publishers and then all of a sudden you're on the phone with some actor who wants to play the main character in the book that you wrote. And now, like you said, you've got a film agent and all this other stuff. And you're like, well, I was just working at the coffee shop.
4: Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It it literally, it really just depends on, on the book. And I just think that with Made in Korea with Bong Joon-ho winning, you know, uh, for Parasite last year, and then, you know, Lee Isaac Chung and, and Chloe Zhao being nominated this year, it To me, it was just perfect timing because I think Asian representation and what Asian Americans and Asian actors can, can bring to Hollywood is now seriously being considered. And I think there's something about that being being out in the zeitgeist for Made in Korea to just kind of thrive. Yeah. And I also know there's just a ton of adoptees and, and I've been getting emails from adoptees who feel seen and, and feel represented. And, and that's really was part of the goal of writing Made in Korea. I'm so glad you brought that up because we
0: talk a lot about uh, representation in comics on this podcast and how that has, how how it's gotten better uh, over the last 10, 15 years, but also where the, the spaces for improvement are. And books like Made in Korea, being able to exist, really, really inspired me that uh, we're we're trending in, in the right direction because I don't I don't think that a book like Made in Korea would have existed or thrived uh, even more recently than just looking back ten years ago. Yeah. Yeah. So the fact that we're here and we're getting books like this and it's thriving and you're getting more opportunities and it's not just you, right? Um, those things are so inspiring. You've been in the industry for 12 years. How have you seen the winds of change blowing?
4: It's a great question. I think it starts with the creators. Like I I said earlier, I I was writing white male cis protagonist stories for like seven years. And I know why I did that. You know, as an adoptee, I was raised within a white culture. I mean, I spent a lot of time overseas. I didn't move to the U.S. until 11th grade. But um, just being raised as very American... I didn't really identify as Asian or Korean to myself for a long time. And I was writing white male hero stories because that's kind of how I viewed myself. I view I view myself as a white person a lot of the times, which is something I'm trying to dismantle um, within myself. But, uh, but then I also realized that it was, I think I did it because it was more accessible for readers because it, you know, white characters are like a blank slate in a lot of ways. But then I decided to just challenge all that. And when I started leaning into my personal truths and weaving them into my narratives, Virtually Yours being probably the most direct one uh before Made in Korea, where I was just writing about personal experiences, I lifted personal experiences, like going through a really nasty divorce that I wrote into Virtually Yours, which, you know, people interviewed me last summer and said, you know, this works, but we didn't think anybody would weave a, a domestic violence story into a romantic comedy from the male perspective. And I said, well, because, and I've been open about this, I was in an abusive and physically and emotionally abusive marriage. And I, I decided to write about that. And I thought that it it humanizes the, one of the, ma- the male protagonists in that story in a way that I haven't seen in, you know, these rom-com movies. Um, and it's also part of a relationship, like falling out of love is part of the cyclical nature of relationships. And that's what I wanted to focus on is how do you survive falling out of love, not just falling into love? Um, so once I started doing that, really, it resonated pretty deeply with readers and and editors. And I just decided to just pedal to the metal and just, you know, write what makes me feel uncomfortable because I think it's more relatable. That's, that's beautiful. And I think that the,
0: one of the best things about the industry right now is that you can do that. Um, and readers are ready, you know, readers are ready to be challenged and, most people that I know who who read comics started with superheroes. Right. But we all, I, I mean, not all, but a lot of us have that point at which we say, this is great and I love this, but what else? And you represent that what else? And that's what the industry needs is is for what else to become the norm. Just like how superheroes are the norm, we need that what else to become the norm and for that, what else to look different and sound different and be about different things than what the, you know, character generated, you know, person is going to, is going to do in their story. We need different. And you just sold me on that comic too, virtually yours. That sounds great. I want to see that um, because
4: it lets me know who you are. And mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: And, and, that's yeah, and, and uh, um, uh-
4: Virtually Yours was kind of my homage to writing a rom-com set in New York City because, you know, I lived there for a while and I, I got to explore a version of, of New York and, and Brooklyn that doesn't exist anymore, as in places that I used to go that don't exist anymore. So it was really, really fun to, to write that because I got to go back in time in a way. Um, and uh, everybody should check out uh, my co-creator, uh, her art, Elizabeth Bale. Uh Her art is amazing. Like she did not skimp on any details, and this is her first full book, and everybody should check it out because it's a joy to read. But it's a joy to go back and just stare at every single panel because there are so many little Easter eggs and so much detail to every single character, even background characters walking down the street. Um, It's just a visual feast.
0: I'm,
4: I'm I'm interested in the kinds of books that
0: you like to read because you mentioned that. The Dark Knight Returns was a major, a book that you read that you really loved. What do you What do you enjoy reading now? And what are the books that you've you've read
4: over the years that you've had an interest in? Um, oh man, I feel like I haven't done enough reading. Um, I mean, I like I said, <laughs> I did get into like a lot of the Vertigo titles, so you know, um, and the Image titles that I got into, I think like. Uh, I really enjoyed Chew when it first came out and I read that for a while. And, uh, um, I really like this, this series that was only, I don't know, two or three arcs called young liars through vertigo. I'm forgetting the creative team on that. It was just such a, a zany, weird book. Um, and, uh, yeah, it just took me a long time to get through a lot of these titles, like again, scalped transmets, preacher, DMZ, um, and then my friend Curtis Weeb wrote a series Green Wake for Image that was is still one of my favorite uh series that they've produced um, and um Nail Biter was one I really really into for a while and what's great is that I've become friends with all of these people, the writers and artists, so it's nice to just chat process with them. Um yeah, so and more recently I've just been reading a lot of novels in the last few years um and I think uh, Murakami's 1Q84 was a book that I think about a lot. Um, and uh, I, I like revisionist history. So Stephen King's um, 112263 was is, is an awesome read and a really good TV show. Um, but recently, I think I've been obsessed with, and I've been telling everybody this, is uh, Michelle Zahner's memoir, Crying in h Mart. She's the front woman for the band Japanese Breakfast, which is a favorite oh. band of mine. So I've been telling everybody to read that. And I just found out that she's going to be penning the screenplay for a film adaptation, which is pretty rad.
3: Oh, that's cool. Yeah,
0: nice. I didn't expect to get novel recommendations, but I'm going to listen back to this so that I can write those down because I need some books to
4: read. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just, I'm almost done reading Ready Player Two, which is pretty enjoyable. Um I'm trying to think. I did finish a book that, yeah, in 2018, I decided to try to read 50 novels in a year and I, I got to about 34. Uh, that actually, that year, no, sorry, maybe that was 2017. One year, I actually stopped writing. I was so tired of rejection that I was like, I'm done. I'm just going to read books. <laughs> so I, I did that for for, uh, for a year because um, I wasn't finding any publishing success. I had written two novels that weren't going anywhere and I was just like, I'm kind of burnt out. So I just read books for a year and and then I realized, oh no, I need to be creating, so I jumped back into it. Yeah, I think I think
0: everyone has that that point, right? Where they're like, Oh God, I can't I can't do this anymore. I can't keep getting rejected. I always think about Todd McFarlane. Uh I think he said he got rejected by Marvel a hundred times. It might have even been more than that. It was really? a really high number, yeah. And then he got accepted and he created Venom and now he's Todd McFarlane.
4: Yeah, that's amazing. Um yeah, actually, because of Made in Korea, I recently had a conversation with him. I was just like, what? You know who I am. This is weird. <laughs> how, that does that, how does that feel um,
3: to have that moment with like a creator of that stature, I guess?
4: <sighs> it, I think I would be more surprised by it and maybe freak out more. But working as a genius at Apple, I was interfacing with celebrities all the time. Like I've helped you know, Patrick Wilson, Willem Dafoe, Kim Cattrall, um, Mandy Patinkin, I, I mean, I, I'm now personal friends with Mandy Patinkin, which is weird. So, like, That's crazy. I mean, <laughs> yeah, like I, he came in one night, it was super late. Uh, I was one of one of like two or three geniuses that would get called to the bar to help celebrities because we didn't freak out. So I would just, like if I was doing repairs in the basement management, would like, oh, send Jeremy to the third floor, uh, you know, someone's here. So, Mandy
3: Patinkin needs a hand. <laughs> yeah, so it was
4: late. The store was closed. I was helping, him. we were having small talk. And then at the end of it, he asked for my card. And he's like, "Where's your personal number?" I said, "Why?" He said, "Well, you're great. You're my person now. I'm not coming back here ever again." Okay, okay. so then I just started doing tech support outside of work for him, and then we just became friends. And uh, you know, that's so cool. <laughs> yeah, we talk regularly. Like he calls me on my birthday. It's 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 pretty wild. So like meeting wow. someone like Todd is is also strange but it's like i don't know I've, I've built up this like tolerance to not like freak out
3: yeah yeah i, I always think it's funny just because the idea of like um i i'm not one to get like starstruck, but the idea of like having um a creator that you you know know as this big name or maybe someone you've looked up to or something who then all of a sudden is like hello peer it's like
4: that's gotta be that's gotta be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, that and that's what it is is the acknowledgement of who that I exist. Like when you're helping celebrities, they're just getting help. Yeah. But when someone s- says your name, it's just like, I mean, you, I, I I know I was able to get a pull quote from BKV for for Made in Korea. That image was able to get for me, and I was just oh, like, that's huge. Uh, I was like, wow, you're made. That's amazing. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's just so
0: cool. Like I I'm happy for you.
3: Yeah, just the the idea that like you know when we were uh, before we even got to recording um you know the the first book that you mentioned was by The Last Man, so the idea that you were able to get a pull quote from from that creator is like that's huge. That's awesome.
4: Yeah, and I've met him twice. I used to do press uh which is how I got into the conventions and I would get in with the creators and then I slowly just as I got to become friends with all these people, I slowly just got rid of my press badge and just was like, I don't do that anymore. I'm trying to be one of you. Um, but it gave me instant access to people. Um, and that's how I met, uh, Brian. I mean, I, I've, I've been friends with Fiona Staples for a long time and, uh, she doesn't really do conventions anymore and she's not really online anymore. But, um, when, when she was, I hang out with her whenever we were at the same show and, uh, went out to dinner with her and some friends one night and then, I was able to get an interview with the both of them to discuss saga. And it was weird where I was told to go to this suite of this hotel. No one's there. And then I hear, Oh, are you here for the interview? And and there he is, the man himself, walking down the hall. I'm like, hey. And he's like, Oh, we're doing it in the lobby. You want to write right down to the lobby? I was like, sure. So we're just sitting in the elevator. I'm oh like, gosh. that's where I'm like freaking out. And then Fiona's there and she's like, Hey, you. And he's like, Oh, you two know each other? And I'm like, what's happening right now? And so, and it was a wonderful interview. And then I I met him again when he was in in uh, Brooklyn for a signing for Saga Number One at Bergen Street Comics, which sadly doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but just a nice human, and it's like nice. Yeah. And heroes are, are good people.
3: I I met him at uh, New York Comic Con, um, I think before I did press. I think when I was just a fan um, for like a signing or something, and he was like just so so very very sweet,
4: mm-hmm. which very
1: is nice. Good. <laughs> so I, uh, oh, go ahead. Sorry, I, I wanted to pivot just a little bit because um, you, you mentioned, you know, your interest in AI getting created obviously is that sort of story. And um, you touched upon it a little bit, but I kind of wanted to just pick at it because AI consciousness, that kind of stuff is like super intrigues me. Um, so like what what about it specifically is something that you want to explore um, outside of just like artificial intelligence and how it works within potentially a child. But what about that? And maybe even consciousness is something you want to explore with made in Korea?
4: Yeah, I, I, there were a lot of influences that went into this story. I mean, like the works of um, Alex Garland did Ex Machina and devs for Hulu. Um, Spike Jones is her, um, obviously Spielberg. Um, and Philip K. Dick. So what I, I thought that this was an interesting opportunity to focus on AI, but not just focus on the hard science of it. Because to be honest, like it hard science doesn't really interest me or like fantasy science fiction doesn't really interest me. I like grounded sci fi stuff that feels just outside of our reality, but it's not exactly our present. Um, I think her is a really good example of that. So, um, focusing on the AI and, and what does it mean to be human? I think pairs very well with identity of being an adoptee. What does it mean to be blank, Korean, American? A person, and just trying to find the narrative threads of what makes us human, both on you know a, a synthetic level and then a very real humanistic level. I think they they pair very well together, <clears throat> and I think that uh, the AI was in my story. I'm trying to use almost to serve as an uh, like an analogy or allegory for being an adoptee, um, and I kind of wanted to to view it from that kind of lateral move rather than trying to reinvent uh what it means because and I think that there are fun ways to explore the human consciousness not just oh they're you know they have their own thoughts now but like where do those thoughts go and like what is identity because I think if you take a synthetic child and they start questioning their identity that is a clear proof of life to me and they're transgressing their, their base directives and they're creating their own thoughts around complex topics that you can't explain or write code for a computer to figure out. And I think that that that's what will be really ex- exciting. Was exciting for me to explore when I was writing the series. I mean,
3: it it, it was funny because earlier in the the conversation, I I remember you had said, um, you know, when you were kind of having those doubts about the book that like the reveal wasn't um, wasn't enough or, or something like that. Um, and I remember getting to the last page of this issue, and I was just like, oh no, like maybe not. Oh no, but it's like like you said, the possibilities from where this goes from here are. Like limitless uh, in really exciting, but also potentially very terrifying ways. Um, and I, yeah, I think that that's such a that's such an interesting um, conduit for for having that conversation creatively about you know um, what is the self. You know,
1: I think it's uh, super apt just because. So I'm I'm half Puerto Rican, half Ecuadorian, I grew up in New York City all my life. So there's a lot there in terms of being able to uh identifying certain ways and how you partition yourself amongst that how you act um, how you speak phrases words there's just like so much and so when you when you end up having a a child question some aspect of that and have it be one that is that you know blank slate like how do you how do you provide them with the information necessary for them to make that own their own decision but at the same time how do they internalize that that information because that then affects their outward expression about pretty much anything. Um, For you mentioned that you were a little bit uh, less, maybe not accepting, maybe is not the right word, but less willing to engage with um, your your Asian heritage. Whereas um, for me, something similar happened where I was mostly raised Ecuadorian and slowly over the years, the Puerto Rico diaspora has sort of influence me a little bit more as i've grown older oh. so there's just a lot there that i think uh makes sense and is right for that kind of storytelling which i commend you for for doing because it's really i think well executed
4: thank you yeah and i think you know beyond the the general i think pinocchio story everyone thinks of with with ai kids you know I, I think that it's it's for me well beyond that i mean just for a synthetic creation to say i am uh there's so much more that never gets explored in those stories. They, I think those narratives I've seen just kind of run off the gas of, well, they're real now. Look how real they are. It's like, what, what does it mean to be real? Like, what are the choices that are being made? Because we're all individuals and we're all based on our cumulative experiences. And, you know, that shapes who we are. And, um, yeah, so the, the one challenge with this book was that I didn't have enough space. Space in the sense of page count to really explore um the the complex lives of a proxy, which is why I, I in the print copies there are three-page backup stories that I've brought on a different artist to tell their their own proxy story within the confines of the, the world of Made in Korea, just to expose the reader to what are other families doing and and how complex that question is, like what does it mean to be a parent because everybody's different and they raise their kids differently. So you, you get to see these glimpses into the life of other proxies and some are good and some are bad.
3: You, you said something that I, I thought was really interesting. Like the, the concept of, uh, cause I, I, I am a, a sucker for a, a, an AI that has a, a personality, you know? Um, but I think so often you veer into, uh, oh, they're human now. And, mm-hmm. and like that, Feels like such a missed opportunity, right? That their greater the, you know, pinnacle of awareness is that like, oh, cool, like I'm just like you now, and it's like, well, no, you're not. Like you're more than us. Like sure, great that we can empathize and and you know, um, like share experiences or or some kind of commonality. That's that's great, but um, they're limits would be so much different than ours. They would think so much differently than we would, at least in theory, right? And I always feel like it, it's a, it's disappointing to not necessarily get to explore some of that stuff to uh, to its greatest potential. So that's that's really interesting.
4: Yeah, and I, I think that with the characters of uh, Bill and Sue Lynn I, I definitely wanted to write, you know, this couple having very different perspectives on what it means to be a parent. Like, it's clear that Bill is slowly getting on board with all of this just with his own language of, referring to Jesse as it. And Sulin has this immediate maternal instinct, um, which is, gets explored in, in subsequent uh, issues. Um, but also that, you know, they don't really know what's going on. Like the reader knows to a degree. And I didn't want to like over explain it. I think a lot of sci-fi does a lot of exposition, these huge info dumps and this rope setup. And it's just like, the stories I like are the ones that the filmmaker or screenwriter or whoever drops you right in the middle of everything. And you just have to sink or swim, like figure out what people are talking about, use context clues, use, you know, deductive reasoning to figure out what what is the scenario. And I thought that was kind of a gamble and I was concerned most people weren't going to like the story because of that. But surprisingly I've read quite a few reviews that said that, you know, this is a book that um, has faith and, and confidence in the reader to figure it out.
3: Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, to reinforce that position, that's exactly how I felt about it. Um, you know, that's something that we often will criticize in issue number one for is feeling like it doesn't um, trust the reader enough to keep up, so that there's like a lot of, you know, oh, like let me throw thirty proper nouns at you that you yeah. don't know what they mean, and there's no context. You'll figure it out, you know, and it's like. It would have been better if you didn't tell me that and just let me follow
4: what was happening, you know, And yeah, to me, it's like the equivalent of like when I watch movies with my mom sometimes, she's like, What's happening? And I'm like, we're watching the movie at the same time. Like I know as much as you do like, we're the movie. <laughs> It's like, just watch. They'll tell us. I promise
3: <laughs> uh, and yeah. and and i I think that, um, I think that the the first issue does a really, really good job of of like you said, I, I think, like, it establishes a lot of the rules it leaves us with a lot of questions but like they're questions that are worth asking not like why didn't you tell me this you know um and and i i definitely think that um that you you towed that line very well because i'm left really interested and, and intrigued by what's happening but i'm not quite sure you know i've got my theories or whatever but there's more than enough to uh to chew on here, without feeling like you're just spoon feeding it to us,
4: mm-hmm. <laughs> and I like that. I've fallen I've, and, and other people I've heard talk about this issue that you know they have theories, and that's like to me, it's like go on. <laughs> 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 that's so nice. Yeah. When I remember um, when we
0: read this for the show, I had a lot of questions, and there were things that I wasn't clear on, and it wasn't frustrating. Mm. I think that's such a difficult. um thing to balance, especially when you're being introduced to a, n- a brand new world, you know, essentially with the concepts that aren't, that don't exist in our world. It's like, well, how much do I need to know to not be frustrated by what I don't know? Right. And, uh, I found that I knew enough. Um, <laughs> and I have some questions that I hope get answered that will enhance the story and some questions that I don't need to actually have answered, but if they get answered, all right, great. Um, and it's such a great place to to fall into a story with. And I highly encourage anyone who's listening to this that hasn't picked it up and is intrigued by our conversation to say, you know, oh, maybe this is worth my time. It's worth your time. Take the plunge. Uh, yeah, definitely take the plunge. Uh, as Jeremy mentioned, image number ones are, you know, we always, everyone always picks them up. You never know if it's going to be the next Walking Dead or whatever. <laughs> um <laughs> and And the cool thing, too, is that you said this is only six issues, right? so it's a nice uh compact story where you're gonna get everything here within a few months right
4: yeah yeah hopefully and and something that i've I've noticed uh a, a commonality in in some of the reviews is and this is really satisfying to hear because when it comes to dystopian stories, I'm not interested in the post big event that happens that changes our lives, you know i I think that when when it comes to dystopia for me the reality is it's happening at such a glacial pace that we don't see it happening like let's use climate change for example like this is a dystopian event that's going to affect all of us and we're just kind of like going about our days and I wanted to write a story where you know there is this you know foreboding this like something's not right but that's something you know that's how time works like we're we're just living our lives and I didn't want to be this like Terminator situation, because I think it's, that's the lowest hanging fruit. I think that it's more interesting when we're at that, that precipice of the the cliff dive and like existing there is way more frightening than just trying to survive this, you know, nomadic wasteland, I think.
0: That's very interesting. I I love that. And I I wonder, now you have me thinking about future issues, like how much of what you just said is going to play into the rest of the story. Oh,
3: it's it's funny because I think uh, you you mentioned before, like, you know, wanting to start in, in the middle of the action. And I, I thought that um the choice to start at the, the birthday party was was a really strong decision because that's like where I feel like you get a lot of the like set dressing about what's going on in the world through conversation. um And that that moment you just had, Sean, I remember sitting there thinking like, oh, whoa, like like what's the implication of that? You know, <laughs> like, that's that's really. Yeah, there's some interesting stuff there to 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 chew on.
4: Yeah, there's there's just so much to explore just with the proxy itself and and the ramifications of of what introducing something like that into the world would be like. Um as someone who works in tech, I think about emerging tech all the time and and uh I I was able to audit this really interesting class at at the college in the town that I, li- I work in and uh they were talking about AI specifically with toys and Apparently, there's this is very kind of interesting dilemma that Mattel has had, where they developed these Barbies that had some basic AI, so you speak to the Barbie and it had voice prompts. But unbeknownst to the to the user, to the to the person buying the, the doll, is that those conversations were being recorded and uploaded to a cloud. And the conversation now had become, who owns the data and who's responsible for this? Because the data is showing that these kids, a lot of kids, are being abused. And they're talking to their dolls and confiding in their dolls. And now they don't, now the company doesn't know what to do. And it's like, well, when you throw something like that in, you've got to, you've got to blow it out and think of all the scenarios. And, um, I, I think that with the proxies, something I want to explore in later arcs, which won't get too, too explored in, in this first one is just the consumerism culture we live within. And, and I see not a very good scenario ending up for these proxies you know, 20 years down the road. Um, right. We're just next best thing. And, and you know, uh, you want to believe that this is your child, but the reality, it it isn't in a way because, you know, some people won't view the proxies as their own or, the, or real, or even though they might be lifelike. So, yeah, there's a lot to explore and unpack that um, hopefully George and I get to do in, in later arcs. Did you ever watch The Animatrix by chance?
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the first story, the, f- the first story, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but, um, it very much reminds me, or what you said reminded me of that. In that, in that story, um, the humans have these robots, uh, that they, you know, have as, as, as basically servants, you know, they're the workers and, and they're the house cleaners and the housekeepers and things like that. And then everything goes wrong. Uh, once the robots essentially get tired of being mistreated and what you're speaking to very much reminds me of that. When I think about the idea of human beings being able to have, um, you know, AI as children, I, I don't have like a, th- this book presents that in a way that's very nice, at least in the first issue. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't see that. Like, I see it happening in spaces, but I'm sure there will be times, would be
4: times where people would misuse, mistreat. uh, I mean, yeah, the the reality is I work at a school and, like, human kids get abused. Like, this is the reality. Like, not everybody has a great upbringing. And if that's what, what parents end up doing to their own, you know, biological children it stands to reason that, you know, the, the implications could be far worse for a proxy. Um so yeah, it's just I don't know. I, I I'm I'm excited to maybe, like I said, explore this thoroughly uh in, in other issues. Cause I do have the second and third arc roughly outlined in my head. Actually I, I woke up at like three this three yesterday morning and I had more thoughts on the second arc. I was just jotting them down so I could go back to sleep and I was like, oh, okay, this is great. I'm <laughs> That's oh, awesome. I'm so
0: excited! I didn't know that there was that there would be more. That's that's fantastic. There, I
4: have to I have to pitch it to Image. I, I'm not quite sure how that works, uh, so I'll have to have that conversation. I think I'm gonna tr- maybe bring it up depending on like how issues you know two, three, and four do because so I think that might be an indicator to be like, hey, is this a possibility? Um, so yeah. Brilliant. Well, fingers crossed.
0: Thanks. Well, Jeremy, uh, I personally am very interested in your version of a potential future. So I will definitely be here for two, three, four, five, six, and beyond. And hopefully uh, everyone listening will also decide to take that journey. Uh, Jeremy is, just based on this one issue alone, one of the creators whose work in Made in Korea and beyond, I'm really excited to read. Uh, so definitely give Made in Korea, number one, a chance. It's worth your while. Um, we really, really appreciate you coming on, uh, Jeremy. Um, is there anything that you want to tease the listener with, uh, let them know where they can find you on social media, the website, all the plugs?
4: Sure. Uh, social media is pretty easy. It's just Jeremy Holt Books uh, across all social media, media platforms. My website's the same, JeremyHoltBooks.com. com. Awesome. I really hope we can have you back uh, when Made in Korea,
0: the first six issues wrap. I would love to bring you back and kind mm-hmm. of see if my theories were correct and, you know, do all that fun stuff. Um, so hopefully you'll be available for that. But until then, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it.
4: Yeah, this is an absolute pleasure. I love what you all are doing. And, yeah, I'm I'm very excited to, to talk about your thoughts after the uh, first arc wrap's up. We'll hold you to that. (laughs) And
1: and (laughs) for anybody uh, who's ready for that next issue, next issue drops on June 30th. So definitely stay tuned. It's only a few weeks
4: away. And the reprint of issue one uh, will be out same day. So if people miss. Oh, awesome. Good. you. You can grab them both.
0: Nice. All right. Yes. Thank you so much, Jeremy, for joining us. And we will speak to you again really soon. Thanks again to Jeremy for joining us. That was awesome. Again, I encourage you to buy the book Made in Korea Number One. Uh, check them out. Uh, they they that was a great conversation, and they have a lot more in store. Like without any spoilers whatsoever, you guys definitely want to get on the train with with Jeremy for sure. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Now, before it takes off.
3: Also, Um, real quick, before we get uh, back to the rest of the show, I had to just point something out. You know, earlier, Sean, uh, we made fun of Marco and Kale for being, you know, not great at their jobs. Um, Jury's still out on Marco, but I got to give Kale big ups on this one because in the middle of that interview, a spider just attacked him. I don't know if y'all saw that. If you're watching on YouTube, go rewind when Kale went off. You just see the spider start crawling, and he's just whoop, just takes care of it. True pro. True
2: pro. Yeah, who's bad at their job? Not me. I rescind. I rescind. You know what? You're back on top, baby. Listen, I may be bottom of the barrel, but I'm in the barrel.
0: (laughs) Oh, man. Uh, we we've got so much more show for you guys. Uh, we have it, the the typical uh, stack of listener comments. You guys are tremendous. We are really appreciative of that. Uh, but then also, Marvel dropped a trailer for uh, the new X Men title that's going to be coming out. Uh, Doctor Strange is going to die. Uh, Reed Pop is getting into the subscription service business for some reason. And we got the Eisner Award nominees. And as per usual, people are pissed. So, it's um, comics. Guys. Why would they be?
1: Yeah. Comics Twitter we, is mad at something?
0: Shocking. Two things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they're, yeah, they're mad about uh, all the things. Uh, but before we get into all of that, we've got, as I said, listener comments. So, uh, Pete, why don't you take it away? All right. So
3: this first one comes from Grayson Red over on YouTube, who commented on episode 241 of the podcast and said, "I'm very interested in the new Venom book. I trust both Al Ewing and Rom V, but Brian Hitch's uh, art. No, but mm, there's a little bit of a typo here. It says Brian Hitch's art uh, really doesn't look like it has evolved much since 2005. No disrespect to the legend, though.
0: That's a that's a really good." Uh... That's an interesting point because I'm not sure that I agree that an artist's art has to style has to evolve in order for it to be good. Like if you I think if you like Brian Hitch, you like Brian Hitch, right? Yeah. Um, and I do. So if Brian Hitch is putting out artwork that looks like Brian Hitch, I'm game. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, I, I that's all
4: I have to say about
1: that I guess. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the style is pretty like you can look at it and be like, "Oh yeah, this looks like Brian Hitch," and I think that's probably positive for Brim. Um but I mean, yeah, if if they don't necessarily grow over time, that's totally fine. Uh and and, and I th- I feel like sometimes we fall out of a flavor of art more so than an artist changes a style, so.
3: Yeah, I mean you see that all the time, right? Like we we talk about, um, and no disrespect intended here either, right? But we we talk a lot about like how people will meme about like a Rob Liefeld, right? But like in his day, he was the guy, you know. Um, tastes change, styles change. So the fact that you know um, someone who who you know you maybe felt like had the hot hand in two thousand five, Grayson, um, you know, you're you're feeling like a little bit. Spent on that same flavor, you know, over 15 years later. Yeah, I don't, I don't blame you for that. That's okay.
0: It's, it's funny because we actually uh, got a question on the Discord that um, ties directly into this uh, from Viltrum Warrior who said, So many comic, comics artists go through an art evolution. Is there anyone where you feel it was an astonishing improvement or degrade? And oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. I was reminded of that question. Uh, through this question from Grayson. Uh, And I I guess I, it's tough because again, I think a lot of times when you're introduced to creators, I I won't go as far as to say they're fully formed, but oftentimes they're, they're right. They're right around that point Mm -hmm. because getting into comics, sorry, they're polished. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Getting into comics is so hard as it is and it's very competitive. So if you're just like a scrub trying to, you know, make your bones, it's not going to you're not going to be on the big stage.
3: I think what you see more often than than that is people who are already polished and like are already competent and then level their their stuff up, you know. Um, Jeremy even said something about, about um, their collaborator in that way earlier, right? Where, yeah. like, it's not that they were bad. I, the person that comes to mind for me is Ryan Otley. Um, That's to say, yeah. yeah. like, he's my favorite artist. And you look at what he does today versus the stuff we were, you know, when we did our Invincible Book Club, like, two months ago or whatever. You can go check it out. Um That was something that I remember Marco had said, where he's like, yo, like Pete always says how much he loves Ryan's art, and like I was expecting more from it. And I think, Sean, you made the point of, well, I've seen issue 100 and I've seen the shit that he's done that was like the promo art for invincible during the later days and it looks night and day different and not that the volume one stuff is bad but it's not as developed you know because he went from being that was his first ever gig on a monthly comic to then doing a book of invincibles you know um quality and volume right every month for 10 15 years that was his job of course he got better you know um there's opportunity to really focus on the craft
1: yeah, I um, I ended up um, just in response to Wilton Moyers' comment. Uh, I'm a big Eisner fan, and and one of the things that for me was his his evolution wasn't like a positive or negative necessarily. It was just impressive to see that there was a a growth in some direction that was different from what he had done in the past. Uh, you know, the spirit super pulpy, uh, a lot of mood with inks and inventive paneling and stuff. Uh, later on PS Magazine during the war, a lot of instruction, a lot of just dictating imagery, and dictating sort of order. And then later, uh, when he got into his graphic novels, it felt almost like caricatures. And I, I love that stuff, He a lot more inks, uh, only ink, a lot more black and white. And uh, he just kind of played with form exaggerations. It was it was interesting to see that that growth. And Uh, positive and negative Mm -hmm. i mean it's a flavor
0: yeah um and i think i think there are probably tons of examples Uh, everybody's probably got their example um i prefer to focus more on the creators who got better um especially because somebody like for example uh jrjr who's the one who came up in conversation on the discord (laughs) which you guys should join um There are a lot of people who love Junior Junior's work, you know, and think absolutely nothing of what other people say, which is that he's gotten worse. So, again, it's all subjective for the most part. And, you know, this was a conversation that was huge this week about um, uh, Herb trimp. Yeah. 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 and, you know, how he changed his art style to try to match what the, you know, what the Rob Liefelds of the world were doing in the 90s. And that that was the, 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 the death blow to his career and stuff like that. And, um, you know, I think artists deserve and reserve the right to change and grow and evolve. Um, that doesn't mean you have to necessarily like it. But um, you know that that's their. This is how they're expressing themselves. You know, uh, creators aren't just uh, creators aren't just factories that produce things for you to look at and 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 take in. You know, that's their journey. You know, their creation is their journey. So it's kind of weird the way we talk about that stuff sometimes. And the herb trim story is really sad. Um, we don't have the time to dive into that today, unfortunately. But um, I encourage everyone to go on Twitter and, uh, read about it at least, because it's important to understand that, you know, the things that we meme about or the things that we, uh, you know, dissect are people's actual lives and their craft. And that deserves to be spoken about in a way that's at least respectful. You don't have to like it, right. You don't have to think it's good or whatever, but respect is important uh, because it's that person's livelihood. Um, and, and Herb is no longer with us, but, uh, someone, you know, decided that it was a good opportunity to take to Twitter and dunk on them. And that's not cool. Not at all. I don't think that's ever cool. I don't think it's literally ever cool to dunk on a creator's work ever, unless it's like tracing or something, something, you know, like ridiculous, you know, like we dunked on that one guy for tracing over the, um, I think, what was it? Uh, over ago. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like that was disgusting. But outside of situations like that, like just, just you know, take it easy. Be cool.
3: Yeah, right. And like for that, we were dunking on him as a person and being a shit bag more even than just the craft. You know, it's like right. There's, there's, there's a way to uh,
0: express that stuff respectfully. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, but let's keep moving. Uh, thank you, Grayson. By the way, you are a very regular commenter. Really appreciate.
3: Yeah, you. great comment. Thank you. Thank you for writing in. Uh, This next one comes from a friend of the show, Tyler Olson, who says, Ayo, look at Sean flexing that PS5 in the background. Love this comment. (laughs) Okay.
0: So that box has been in the corner of my screen since I got my PS5 in November. So Tyler, you're the first person who's noticed that and you win a prize. I'm going to send you... The a box. PS5, <laughs> the box you can. I have need to get rid box. of it, so uh, I'll send it
2: to you. Thanks for noticing.
3: <laughs> all right, this next one uh, comes. Out, this, these are all from the same episode. This is all from last week's show. Uh, this one comes from definitely not Sean Soapbox. who says, "I vote for a guest appearance of not Sean Soapbox on the podcast with voice modification, of course, so that you know I'm not Rebecca."
2: <laughs> just go ahead and call her over, Sean. It's probably
4: fine. <laughs> First
0: of all she's sleeping second of all definitely not Sean Soapbox's name should be definitely not Rebecca because there's a non-zero chance that uh Rebecca would know George Perez or would even write the next comment that definitely not Sean soapbox wrote See, Sean, I, I is, like
3: the idea. You said Rebecca is sleeping. I like the idea that Rebecca's like been up all night, shit posting. as definitely not Sean's
0: soapbox. <laughs>
1: <laughs> She's gotta <to> sleep in. <laughs> I was gonna ask Sean, does she usually sleep during this time? No. Oh, okay, never mind then. I had a I had a theory because la- while you guys were doing the show last week or a week before, a comment popped up that would have been during the recording. Mm. So from, I was trying to from from definitely not Sean's soapbox. Mm. So Sean usually has, you know, the screens up and all that. And I would presume he not have another old episode and take the time out of hosting to type a a response on some comment. So I was trying to figure out if maybe, you know, Rebecca, some somewhere, we we, we can scratch her off the list. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go down the list. We're trying suspects. to work
3: out who this, like the, we're removing suspects at this point. Okay. Exactly. So
1: you,
0: so you think it's me? You think there's a chance? No, to no, it no, no. Me. I'm ah. saying
1: it's not you because you were hosting at the same time that the comment went up, right? Okay.
0: I'm going to tell you right now, I know exactly who it is. Oh, it's not Rebecca, but I know exactly who it is.
1: See, my second
0: hypothesis here is that it's Harris. It's not Harris. But you know. But you could know. I, I know. I you're, know who you're it is. You're confident. I know exactly who it is, and I have hinted at it over and over and over again, and no one has picked up on what I have been saying. There's a hint in this episode. What? There is a hint in this episode. I know exactly who it is. All right. Well, I guess I'll we'll to listen back to the episode and find out for next week's show. It hasn't come up yet. That's <laughs> the crazy part. And it's going to come up and you're not even going to know. Fuck. It's, it's going to happen in, in in very shortly, actually. Okay. All right. Fine. I'm going to read
3: the next comment. and maybe that's maybe that's what we're gonna find out okay so this one also comes from definitely not sean soapbox slash rebecca uh who said i think kale is the equivalent of spider-man 3 sean would be infinity <laughs> okay. war phil is ant-man marco is thor ragnarok and pete is guardians of the
2: galaxy that's, that's just fun. hurtful i'm thor <laughs> 2 at best <laughs> hmm. i'm fantastic for one like
0: Spider-Man 3. I think Spider-Man 3 is better than those movies frankly, but well, definitely uh, better I than Fantastic not. 4 1 at least. It's better than 4 2, you don't Yeah, so? no,
3: you're right. You're right. I'd rather watch it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I don't know, man. Thank that's, you uh that's the Ragnarok a little blow. the Ragnarok energy. I appreciate that.
3: You know, I watch. think as much as uh Phil didn't like that movie, I think Phil is more Thor Ragnarok than he would like to let on. What not saying that you're not Marco. All right. I'm just
2: saying. I, Marco is more Guardians of the Galaxy because he's a space case.
3: <laughs> I like nice. that. I like that joke.
0: Thanks. Well, uh, definitely not Sean soapbox. I actually happen to think you nailed all of those. Uh, so that tells me that you really pay attention to the show. And you must be someone who's been listening for a very long time.
3: What it tells me is that Sean and Cale don't like me very much.
0: I like you a lot. Guardians of the I Galaxy, can- though, I could take
3: Kale could take me or leave me. That's fair. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll move on to this next one. Uh, this one comes from Garrett Harshman over on our YouTube uh, review or the YouTube episode of our Strange Adventures ten review. So Garrett wrote in and said, "Tom King books must be difficult to review because they always seem to start off dull or or." or or all over the place excuse me but he seems to be really good at bringing it all together in the third quarter yeah i mean i think we've kind of expressed that throughout strange adventures there've been some of us who have uh, would have rather had read it in a in a chunk rather than month to month because of the way that tom uh tends to you know kind of have a bit of a slow burn but um i definitely agree that it feels like it's uh it's coming together now
1: i think to that rorschach's probably a good example of him doing that where you kind of just start out no idea what like what's going on and slowly pieces of the puzzle start falling in you get different threads that start tying together and the the big thing i think for time king is him sticking a landing um i felt i felt that way a little bit with mr miracle and um I'm, i'm hoping that the the build up for strange adventures would be would be where it's at and he'll deliver. And I'm 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 hopeful we have two issues left. So like I think so and the same I feel like I'm getting a similar vibe for Rorschach where I feel like that book he's really tight on.
0: So I'm super hopeful. We'll see. Uh I, I definitely agree that Tom King books are tough to review uh just because um sometimes things just don't happen mm. and it's like <laughs> damn how do i even discuss this um and you could personally have enjoyed it or not enjoyed it or whatever um but to talk about it to review it can be challenging sometimes um and, and that's not just true for tom king books there are several titles that we have reviewed and then they're like you know what this is not like we're not f- able to find enough to pull at for every issue of this series. And we've dropped them uh, from the review slate because we just didn't think that it was that interesting. Um, the the Tom books, like we reviewed Rorschach. Did we review Rorschach one? I don't I think, think we did. did. I think that was yeah, we, did. we did. We did? Okay, I must have been off, off that week. And we did Batcat. Um Yes. But they just didn't feel like they should be reviewed in that way. They felt like they needed to be experienced um, you know, as one piece, just individual issues weren't giving enough. Mm-hmm. Uh, Strange Adventures is a book that we've had really hot conversations about on this show, and it wouldn't feel right if we didn't, in my opinion, if we didn't finish reviewing the entire series from start to finish. Um, and I've been enjoying it, even though I didn't enjoy every single issue. So yeah, yeah, I agree. Uh, and by the way, thanks for writing in. Uh, Garrett, Harshman, really appreciate when you, uh, when you write it.
3: Yeah, appreciate it. All right, so these uh, next two come from our discussion on Geiger number three, uh, both over on YouTube. This first one comes from Kilgore Trout, another regular writer into the show. Uh, thanks again for writing in Kilgore. Um, <clears throat> it's really funny to thank someone named Kilgore, by the way. I love the internet.
0: And and Um, either way that you go about it, right? Like whether you say Kilgore or Trout. Thanks, Trout. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, either way, it's kind (laughs) of weird. But
3: yeah, uh, so Kilgore uh, wrote in and said, three issues in and I'm still waiting for the hook. I was expecting more from Geiger and it hasn't lived up to expectations. Something needs to happen for me to continue beyond the next issue.
1: Hmm, Sounds like Kilgore is kale okay
3: yeah the what that's the that's the thing now we're gonna try to figure out how every one of our commenters is one of us i think some people listen to the show don't worry i'm I'm from texas
2: so that means i'm george bush like what is
0: (laughs) (laughs) oh boy that's funny um yeah so we reviewed geiger you guys can go check that out uh we reviewed geiger 3 and kale and i generally agreed in the sense that we felt like they kind of blew it up uh yep. they gave away kind of the what what felt like the major hook we won't well we don't need to go to, into spoilers here um but they gave it away and it feels now like the book has to pivot and find a direction that can take the interest level that we had in what the hook seemed like it was and you know absorb that Mm -hmm. and the third issue didn't didn't provide us with a hint as to what that would be Mm -hmm. so um i'm not not interested in the book anymore but i can definitely say that if the next like couple of issues don't really put pedal to the metal i probably won't uh i probably won't have as much interest in continuing on with it
3: cool Uh, This next one uh, comes from Willie Survive, also on Geiger 3, and I do just want to, there's like slight spoilers in this comment. I don't think that they're significant enough for us to not read them, but if you haven't read Geiger 3 and you're like insane about spoilers, just skip ahead a couple seconds. uh so Willie ronan and said i think the writers finished the mystery about his family and the king because they have something else in mind i think the direction of the book will be about the kids uh the map and this new world hopefully some new characters will be introduced but basically geiger's origin and motivation for what he does has been put to bed cool
2: i'm not into it
0: i think
3: (laughs) why is the book called geiger
0: then you know (laughs) i think you're you're probably right but it felt I'll say this. You're probably right. It felt very anticlimactic, if that's the yeah. case. And it felt yep. very unlike Jeff Johns, who I have a ton of respect for as a, as a creator uh, who knows what they're doing. So it didn't live up to what Jeff Johns standard of, of you know, quality, for lack of a better term, uh, in my opinion.
3: Left we'll to see how we feel about number four.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, Thanks again for yeah. writing in. Yeah, appreciate it. Um,
2: Will I'm he survive? That's a great fucking name, by the way. Great. Mm, looks, like name. He, looks like he made
0: it another day. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to do it, but I was like, you know what? I'm not going to take us there. Glad you did it, Pete. Let's get into the pals polls. And we'll start with Marco, who chose Alien number four.
1: All right. I love Alien. Alien in comics can sometimes be a little bit difficult to portray like the horror of it. I think Philip Ken Johnson has been doing a pretty good job of weaving in a, a fun narrative, doing a good job with the horror and um, Salvador La Roca on art and his, his, his people, the, the faces I feel like are, are waxy. Sometimes I don't like the yeah. structure, but the aliens, amazing. Like the, the, the way he draws them are incredible. If he's using references, if he's doing whatever, I don't care. That shit looks fire. And I'm, um, I'm in it for the way he's able to represent those aliens and for the narrative that Johnson's uh, telling. And if, if if it goes down sort of the route that I think, I think it ends in issue five um, I'm I'll be content.
0: You know, I, <laughs> I listened to your review of issue one, I wasn't on the show that that particular day. And I bought the issue. And then I listened to the review. and I was like, Oh, okay, you know, you guys didn't like it. So I won't buy it anymore. Um, and I I didn't read the first issue. I bought it just because I wanted to get it, that I didn't get around to it, whatever. So I didn't buy any of the further issues. And then, like, a couple of weeks ago, I read the first issue. I was like, oh, shit, I actually really enjoy this. This Oh, you did? No! Oh, shit. (laughs) Sorry we led you astray. (laughs) I missed out on two and three because I trusted the Comics Pals, my own show, and now I feel like I screwed up. Yikes. Well, that's why we all got to be on the reviews, I guess. (laughs) that's the gamble you trust the comics pals you miss your books Mm -hmm. uh marco also chose berserker number three
1: i've been having fun with this uh we'll see where it goes you know second issue was uh him in the past and kind of like through the ages but not a lot there story wise so hopefully they get to do a little bit more um with the character and um I mean, I'm having fun with it. I'll support it. It's a good, it's a, it's a fun book so far.
0: Okay. Um, Kale chose Madman Library Edition Volume 1. What is this?
2: So Madman is Mike Allred's um, creator-owned baby. It's about a zombie named Frank N. Stein who becomes a superhero. <laughs> His weapon it's is cool. a yo-yo. Uh, he's got a girlfriend. He changes a costume every 10 minutes. It's incredible. Um, it's been around, I don't know, since the 90s, um, and they're really hard to find. They've come out with a, a few different editions. Uh, I've got one somewhere, um, but tremendous stuff. And uh, so this this is a hardcover that I will definitely be
0: getting. That's awesome. Uh, I love whenever we get these kinds of things, um, hardcovers, collected editions for stuff that's difficult to find. Uh, In fact, uh, it's worth pointing out that Marvel is finally uh, putting uh, uh, Truth and Justice, I believe it's called, uh, back into print, which is the story of the Black Captain America. Um, oh, that's
2: right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I oh, saw cool. that.
0: Isaiah Washington. Uh, I think yeah. that's his name. Um, yeah, yeah. That's right. Yeah, they're, they're, Isaiah they're, Bradley. Isaiah Bradley. Mm, they're okay. They're putting that back into print. So, um, if you've been wondering where that is, there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> you know, uh, plus oh, bless
3: you. Um, you. Fun fact: uh, Madman um, actually makes a cameo in Invincible at one point. Hmm.
2: I think oh, wow. He's in crossover too, if I'm not mistaken. The Donny Cates book.
3: Huh. Oh, cool. He's, That's uh, literally all, all I know about him. I know his awesome costume. Full That's
2: body it. white costume with a, a like red you. uh exclamation point that looks kind of like a lightning bolt.
0: Yeah. I was Great looking him. character. I guess he didn't see it. Uh you also chose Ultra Mega number four. So this is the end of the arc, um,
2: which I'm Wildly disappointed about because I am having a blast with Ultra Mega. I know um, I'm sad I, it's going away. <laughs> I don't think uh, we're reviewing it this week because we've got we've got a fat stack of stuff to review from you guys. But uh, because we have the access, thank you so much, Image. I read it early, and guys, it gets gross. Yeah, uh, uh, but it's cool as hell. It's intense. <laughs> so if you if you have been into uh, what we've done, uh, what the series has been so far, it's tremendous.
0: Nice. Um, I wonder what the future is for that se- for that series.
2: He's he's uh, based on the back matter. He's working on more, uh, but it's probably not going to come out until next year at this mm. point. Because it it seemed like he was working on this for years. Let's see, that's fine. yeah if he takes his time and it's good i'll take it whenever it comes
0: yeah uh so pete and i actually had the exact same pulls uh static number one
3: yeah let's go um we've been kind of talking around this for a while um obviously uh you know there's the milestone return we had the like Zero issue a couple months ago, and now um the most recent update was that it will be physical as well as digital day one. So however you read your books, you'll be able to pick it up this week. Um, but yeah, season one kicks off. Um it's uh written by Vita Ayala. We got art by chris Cross and Nicholas Draper Ivy. I'm really excited about this. Um I you know, I love static, uh was a big fan of Static Shock as a kid. Um, it was event television for me on Saturday mornings, and uh, I I have, you know, said a lot on this show how I think it's really, like, a shame that, you know, rights issues have kind of kept the character in, you know, um, this, like, weird limbo, like, basically since the end of that show, uh, and, you know, you look at, like how many young, uh, like teen heroes we have coming up who are people of color. And it's like static was had the hot hand so long ago. And it's like, you could see, um, that legacy kind of get passed on to, to other characters like miles and miles Morales and, um, and some of his contemporaries. So the idea that, you know, it seems as if everything's figured out and there's an opportunity now to, to give a push for static again. Um, I want to show up for it and uh, and be behind it. So I really, really hope that this first issue is great. Uh, I hope that everybody goes and picks it up and we can send the message to DC that we want to see more static.
0: I'm excited. I don't have a connection really to static, but I think that, you know, the time is now. The time is now. The time is right. I'm happy that DC made the right decision to... Uh, make this digital and physical day and date. That means that I can jump on board alongside everybody else and be as excited about this as everybody else. Um, I hope it's good. I hope it's very high quality. Vita, Vita Ayala is obviously uh, very talented uh, and capable. So um, I think I think the, the title, the character is in good hands. Uh, and the preview artwork that has been pushed out is tremendous looks really good so and i personally have been following uh nicholas draper ivy for years now and this is their first at that for a major publisher in a big time way yeah i remember you saying that yeah but but they've been killing it forever like for almost a decade now so um yeah i'm 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 hyped and then uh planet Size x-men uh obviously this is like This is the big one, right? Uh, I can't wait for this book. We're going to be... um, You'll have access to our review of X-Men 21 and Excalibur 21. We're following the gala uh, very closely, and this seems like it's going to blow the lid off of some major truths about what the X-Men are up to. I have theories. I don't want to talk about them on this podcast because... Uh, I don't want to spoil it for anyone, and plus, you got to listen to our reviews to hear all that good stuff. So, uh, check out our review of X Men Twenty One. We will be reviewing Planet Size X Men when that drops, um, and uh, yeah, it's gonna be great.
3: Yeah, it's I am really looking forward great. to this one. I'm super excited to see um, just even just some of the the preview stuff for it already is like looking great. Um, obviously, not a surprise to see Pepe Larraz doing. Radical work, but um, yeah, it's an exciting time.
0: Uh, speaking of the X Men, though, uh, we do have a trailer that they pushed out for the new X Men title. Before before we jump into that, I do want to say uh, every single week I've been putting out for the last couple of weeks, I've been putting out a challenge for you guys to let me know if there's a book that you think I'm not reading that's not a trade or a manga that uh, i can pick up at the shop and actually i believe it was kafis on the discord who took the challenge and recommended me to read maniac of new york now unfortunately i was not able to grab that this week but i promise that next week i will have my thoughts on maniac of new york and i will not just read whatever the most recent issue is i'm gonna read the whole thing and i will have my thoughts for you on the show next week about that thank you for taking my challenge and i encourage more of you to do it uh but beautiful let's let's uh let's chat a little bit about this trailer i'm gonna go ahead and throw it up on the screen for you guys that are watching on youtube uh and we're just gonna you know chat it up about this new trailer i personally have always been a fan of marvel's trailers for comics i think they're really cool um and this one didn't disappoint. This is that sweet, sweet Pepe Larraz artwork. Mm-hmm. Jerry Duggan is going to be writing this series. Uh, look at Jean Grey, the greatest X Men of all.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, the the LaRoz art. I think I'm I'm ready to see more of what he has for, uh, for what he has for the X Men for this this world. I I loved his designs. I love his art. Um, I'm I'm ready.
0: I'm a little bit, the fact that they could get him for this makes me disappointed that the X-Men didn't have him as the artist the whole time. I wonder if
3: there was some um, conflict with like something else going on or whatever, like other work, maybe some creator-owned stuff they were working on or something. I don't know.
1: I wonder if this isn't connective tissue with Hawksbox stuff, though, where, you know, you get like a continuity of that art style where you're just coming into Hawksbox and then you you like the x men generally, and so as um as the book diverts as the Hickman book diverts into something else um and then this continues sort of that artistic style mm. i I wonder if there's something like just there to allow for people to have a little bit of that um familiarity
0: I think that there's probably merit to that, and then I would add that um. Because this, because Hickman's stories weren't in, in the X Men title weren't necessarily linear. Uh, they were very different. Uh, like every issue was different. They didn't even necessarily tell, excuse me, tell the same story. Uh, having a diverse group of artists made sense for that title. Whereas this one seems to just be more about the superheroics, and I definitely see. Lara's thriving in that environment so um when i actually think about it i guess yeah it does it does make sense um
2: didn't, didn't pepe laroz do um some of empire as well with ali ewing in that event
0: that was uh that was valerio shkidi
2: okay maybe, maybe i'm thinking of marta Grassi then
0: um maybe i think that's right yeah, I know Valerio was on it, but there may have been a, an additional artist. So you could be you could be right about that. Uh I'm gonna I'm gonna check while we discuss this. This trailer doesn't really give us too much as far as like what we can expect from the title, other than it appears to be a more traditional X-Men series, but I could be reading a lot into a little. Um, I don't know
1: no nah, it definitely has that vibe it's it looks like it's a lot more action focused it,
3: it does seem like it has that vibe but i i guess it's possible that 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 could just be um like a, a red herring you know mm-hmm. like it wants us to think that it's a more traditional book
0: yeah um i'm really not sure but whatever I'm, the I'm fuck really that excited. that
3: is in the beginning is very like <laughs> what know. is that
1: she looks like a pokemon that's some Pokemon. Uh, yeah, Do I, don't know, about- I don't know what
3: Pokemon you're playing. Genesect.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, okay. You know what? Right, I see that. You know what?
3: Yeah. I take it back. You're right. It does kind
2: of look like Genesect. My man knows. <laughs> look at this squad, though. Yeah, yeah. pretty good fucking lineup. I yeah. don't know, man. I just, if it's not a generally standard X Men lineup, I'm uninterested. I just can't get into it.
3: I mean, two of them are as standard he's, as it gets. He's,
2: he's <laughs> He's memeing. I'm not memeing. I'm completely serious. <laughs> are, you, are you... Really? Yeah. Beast in there. Huh. It, three
3: of the... Like, three of them are, like, the most standard members of the team. Okay, well, what about the rest of them? I mean, one of them is a Wolverine stand-in, so...
1: Yeah. Is, four out of six. It's pretty good. <laughs> what, it, what is Sinks' power again? Um...
3: Isn't it that he can copy other people's powers?
0: I think, or, or enhance them, something like that. I'm going to check really quick. I forget. I think,
3: I think his is the copying, because I feel like it was... The other guy that can
2: enhance.
3: Yeah, mm. and Sync was copying Laura's abilities and stuff. Yeah. Because isn't that how he survived at the yes. end? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. yeah. Ability to duplicate superpowers.
0: Yeah. Mm. Okay. Um, I, I got to say, I kind of agree with Kale. Really? Uh, really, yeah, yeah. Oh. I'm definitely more fan of traditional teams, whether it's the League, the Justice League, the Avengers, the X Men. I really like the core group of characters. Um, I care about Polaris, so I'm happy that she's here, but I feel like the main X Men title should be primarily about the superstar X-Men. Like, where's Storm? Storm, 100,000% should be on this team. There's no doubt in my mind. That's fair. Um, and, and, yeah. And for me, in the case of,
2: like, uh, X-23 being the Wolverine, like, okay, cool, that's sort of a stand-in for that character. There will be uh, reasoning for that character to be in that position. Cool, I'm down with that. But then, uh, and and uh, Sunfire has a history with mm-hmm. the X Men, but he's yeah. it's French. different enough. Just, yeah,
3: right. He's usually not a main team person. He's usually like a B team type guy. Yeah.
2: Um, I I don't really care about Rogue.
3: Okay, uh, that's insane. in general. That's insane I, but then me.
2: but then Sync is just like I you know I haven't seen enough to care about him. I don't know. Polaris. I wow. guess
3: I, I guess I get what you're saying. I just think it's odd. Cause it's like, to me, it's like, we've got two of uh, three, I would say a tier X, X men. Um, and then we've got, you know, Laura and, and sink and, you know, Laura's cool. I, like you said, I, I like her fine. Um, and I, that as a stand in for Wolverine on the team works for me, but like her dynamic with Sync that we had established in the, you yes. know, the, the two, um, vault, issues is something that like i'm excited to to pull on a little bit more um which i think makes me care about that character more so really it's kind of like um uh cannonballs kind of like the the odd man out i guess sunfire sunfire um but you know even he it's like i don't feel like he's like a nobody
4: no yeah
0: i i I don't think i don't think he's a nobody but um you, feel like I, you you want some more A listers? <laughs> yeah, would I prefer like a, a tank like Colossus? Yeah, definitely. Sure. Or someone who's gonna Sunspot? You know, he, he he can he can heat things up. I want I want um I don't see the friction yet, and I think Sunfire. He, Sun, Sunfire. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, I don't see the friction yet, and so I guess I guess you know we'll have to wait and see. Mm. But X Men books tend to be dramatic. And so I'm wondering where that tension is going to come from on the team. Um, I'm sure it'll be present. And it's not as if X-Men books are known for sticking to the characters who are in the number one. So, you know, we'll see how things play out. Um, The Lara thing,
3: I think, could definitely inject some some needed drama into it.
0: Yeah, for Um, sure.
3: Given that whole dynamic that's been established now, where he has all these memories and she's got nothing, yeah, I mean, that's
1: probably that's probably why they're on the team is so that they can continue that story and 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 build them and build that relationship.
0: Yeah, yeah, you're you're almost one hundred percent correct on that. I would imagine. Um, speaking about the X Men, just a quick little note: Marvel did release uh a little bit more information about Inferno and all they really said was just that um Inferno was going to be the like tr- the tragic conclusion I believe is the word they used uh for the story that we we've been the ride we've been on with uh with Hickman's um X-Men I hope that this is not the end of his story. Yeah. Um, I really, really hope it's not over with Inferno. Hmm. Yeah. But um, we don't have long to wait. Next week is Planet Size X-Men, as we said, and couldn't be more excited. And I guess technically this week. Um, so, yeah, we'll be reviewing that. Definitely stay tuned for that when that comes out. Um because we're very excited about it. Uh, Doctor Strange is going to be dying. Yeah, and? Mm -hmm. Uh, The Death of Doctor Strange comes out September 2021. Jed McKay and Lee Garbutt will be telling the story over five issues. It's going to kill the the good doctor, and uh, there's going to be a mystery. And then we're going to have to figure out who the next doctor will be. Um, Uh Magic. Yeah. Magic. Hmm.
2: They've That's been predicting amazing. that for years.
1: I wonder if it's not Miss Marvel. Hasn't she been in like Strange Academy and all that stuff?
2: Miss Marvel or Captain? Oh, or,
1: sorry, Captain Marvel.
4: Hmm. I,
2: I don't know if she's been in Strange Academy, but uh, she has. I, has she? Yeah. Uh, I know she and Strange are dating now. I guess
0: right.
1: Oh, she's gonna kill him and become the Sorcerer Supreme. <laughs>
0: That would be different. That would be really crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm not sure if it is relevant, but it's worth pointing out that the Darkhold uh, story that we talked about last year, uh, at the height of the pandemic, it was was teased by Marvel, never came out. It's actually going to be coming out and starting and ending around the same time as this. So I wonder Mm -hmm. if she's not a candidate for uh becoming the next sorcerer supreme. Sorcerer S Supreme, I guess.
2: I just looked up uh Lee Garbit's art and this dude has got it. Yeah. So uh
0: that could uh, that could be worth checking out. Yeah. Um I'm actually not familiar with Lee's work.
2: Th- uh, it looks like he did uh the Loki Agents of Asgard book.
0: Oh okay yeah yep i see yeah this is this is quality stuff uh i don't i'm not familiar with either creator and i don't necessarily care if dr strange is gonna die um marvel has done a lot of death of you know x characters uh or stories rather over the years and i'm really not i don't i don't know it feels like a gimmick now and i don't end up i don't care anymore when they do this i don't care when characters die anymore
2: it especially feels it to me uh like the first thing that comes to mind is the the upcoming movie
0: yeah i mean yeah it looks like shumgeroff is going to be in this if you look at the cover
2: yeah uh, that's what i was a,
0: thinking yeah uh, it looks like he's going to be involved like i just mentioned scarlet witch is going to be You know, one of the main characters in a book called Darkhold. Of course, we all know how WandaVision ended. We know the strange Wanda connection going into the movie. Like you said, it feels very much like um, they're telegraphing their their play here. And um, I'm not going to lie. It's a little frustrating because I like my comics to be the comics and the movies to be the movies. Um, And... It feels super obvious what's going on, but um, does anybody care about the idea of Doctor Strange dying?
3: Not really. Um, I I think like what you said kind of sums it up. Where like, <clears throat> you know, in the last couple years, we had death of Wolverine. We had death of you know, like we, we've we've done this before. And really, the only one that's ever stuck is Marvel, right? So. They're not going to kill off Doctor Strange. They're not. Forever. Right. It's not going to happen. So, you know, I don't know. Like, it's one of those things that I feel like I just wish that, and I've expressed this before, I wish they would just stop announcing shit like this, like, and just let it happen, because when you announce it, I think it puts expectation on it. It puts pretense on it. And it makes you think who's going to replace him. What's that going to be like? And all these questions that are like ultimately, you know, it's just comic shit. So it's like, if it's good, great. Like if, if we have a moment that is like, um, you know, like, like what happened when they killed off Thor, right? And Jane Foster picks up the hammer and then that's a run that, you know, it proved itself and people, some people like it. So now it's a thing that we, we've hung on the hat as okay. This, this can stay cause it was good, but if it's not, or if it's something that doesn't resonate, it's going to get undone and it won't matter. So it's just kind of like, I don't know, like, yeah, it's hard to get excited about it because until it's like a material thing that we can read and say, Oh, this is good or has promise. It's like, okay, it's the next thing. Let's see.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I agree with you. I think in this case, the fact that this is the, the the title of the book, this is the book might be a little bit different in the sense that, um, you know, they're clearly not trying to shock you. Right. Um, yeah. And I fair. wish they would like kill them in, kill him in the dark, Hold event, you know, kill them in infinite destinies, kill them in something where I can open the book and not already know what to expect.
3: Yeah. I want to turn the page and be like, oh my God, not, oh this is the death of
2: this character okay (laughs) great you spoiled it wait for issue two where you spoil the ending of that one too yeah um
3: then three years from now when we get the rebirth of dr strange just in time for the second dr strange or the third dr strange movie
0: great exactly it's just uh it's very very frustrating marvel so please don't do that anymore uh Let's shift gears over to DC and talk about fables. Now, fables is a book that I have never read. I actually bought my girlfriend a hardcover edition Ooh. that she has never read. And I thought, She's too oh, busy this busy commenting on the show. Right. Of course. You know what, Kale? I'm going to pivot for a second because I need to address you. Oh, oh, oh. If you were as smart as you think you are. Listen. You would already know who definitely not Sean Soulblocks really is. I have a guess. Yeah, who was
2: it? Yeah, I have a guess.
0: Oh, go ahead. You, can, you can keep your cards close to chat. I'll keep mine. Okay, sure. I mean, this is only going to end one way with the it's exposure fine. of the individual, right? Sure. So listen, uh,
2: we all know I'm not afraid to look in the fool. So then go ahead, say who it is. Is it Link?
0: No. Is it not?
2: No. no. They said they. And, and by
0: you. the way, just saying the name of every single person who writes into the show is not going to work for me. <laughs>
2: okay. First point, of all, stop first responding. of all, I did very deep investigation. That person uh, has been listening to the show. They're new to the Discord, so it's a very educated guest. Thank you very much.
0: That's what. I think it's Who, Matt listen, Murphy. I'm throwing it out. I, I, I'm okay. That's probably not correct, but I'm going to tell you one thing. <laughs> I'm going to give you one hint, and I already gave it, so it's not even new. They're not new.
2: They're old. Listeners. I just that was the I was working off the hint not, you just gave.
0: They're not new in any way.
2: Uh, it's, it's Phil then.
0: Yeah. Uh, let's oh, talk about fame while we're here,
2: um, while we're here uh-huh. last week, mm-hmm. we had a, a host showdown, which, uh, I think I'll have, you know, I think I did really well. Uh, but I'll concede the true host is the person who can remember to select the correct microphone. That's definitely right. Sean. Yeah.
0: yeah. Uh, <laughs> if I've got anything, I've got that, uh, I'm offended that you think you held your own, Kill. <laughs> you said it yourself in the episode. I did great. That's I called- didn't say you did a you did a good job hosting. I said you did a great job being my partner for the day. That is not what you said. Did I? Did I I said there you? was there was
2: there was a point, uh oh, it was while we were looking at the numbers for uh Jupiter's legacy. Mm-hmm. And I was looking at it. You said, Don't look at it. I said, I'm sorry, I'm trying to host the show. And you said, You're
0: doing a great job. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I was I was memeing, yes, of course. Yeah, yeah, I know. I was, yeah, okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Um so Fables. Fables is a book that I mean really highly celebrated. Um, Bill Willingham uh is one of the creators behind it. It ended six years ago. Uh, from vertigo. And now it's coming back. If you can believe that. And the weirdest part about it is that it's coming back in two ways. So first they're going to have Batman versus Bigby. Uh, I assume uh, Batman versus Bigby, a wolf in Gotham. It's a six issue series. Oh, okay. I assume that Bigby is a character from fables from the world of fables. Um, he is Bigby. Uh, Bigby
3: is, I only know this cause I played the telltale game. Bigby's the main character yeah. He's the Tell big me. bad wolf.
0: Cool. That's actually really cool. Uh, it's going to be a, a black label series, uh, and uh, Willingham is actually going to write it along with uh, artist Brian Level, um, and the art looks really awesome. So I encourage you to go check that out. Um, but then on top of that, they're also just going to bring Fables back from issue one fifty one. Like they're just oh, going to they're just going to pick right up from where they left off. That's cool. Yeah, that's really surprising though. <laughs> I've never like they could easily just go with a new number one and they're not. And that's so interesting. Um, that's really cool. Yeah. This is a book that like I've
3: always wanted to read and just never like took the plunge on. Um, And I, I loved the telltale game. So maybe, maybe now's the time to pick it back up. Give it a
1: shot. It's, it's very good. I read the first three volumes of it and there's like 22 volumes because it's so long, but Whoa. from, from just that it's, Really quality stuff. Lots of
3: talking animals. Seems like a Sean book.
0: Lots yeah. of animals. Yep. I, I I mean I bought it for my girlfriend, but she doesn't care. So I might have to read it to make it worth my while. Yeah, man. Um, Crack that open. When's it come out? Yeah. The new one? So the the one fifty one drops May of twenty twenty two. So we've got a year to wait for that. We got a whole
3: year to catch up and read the whole thing. Oh, wow. Let's go. For book the, club. For the
0: for the twentieth anniversary.
3: Yeah. Yeah, the twentieth anniversary,
0: shit. absolutely. Uh, so really cool. Um, I'm curious to know how many of our listeners have read Fables because I know that it was popular, but I've not really heard anyone in my life ever talk about
3: it. I don't know one person who's read it except actually Harris maybe uh, Harris read it. Yeah, to me. Oh, yeah, I, gonna, I, say, I think maybe it. Andy has read it as well, but I think that was because of the Wolf Among Us, the
1: Telltale game. <laughs> uh, I think Murphy might have as well.
0: I didn't even realize that was a Fables-based game. The yeah, yeah, yeah The Wolf the Among Us. Thing.
1: I think
3: you it's know? a prequel, um, but it is canon. It sounds right.
2: Yeah.
0: Hmm. Very interesting. It's good. Um, I really good. I don't know how much I care about the the Batman thing though. That seems a little random uh, to do a Batman bigby crossover, but it's a way of getting the character and the brand uh, in front of people who might not otherwise be interested or know about it. So, yeah.
2: Yeah. I, I,
3: it's one of those things where it's like, it, it doesn't necessarily feel like, um, like the most appropriate thing for that series, but it it is also a thing where it's like, well, I feel like Batman can cross over with pretty much fucking anything, you know, like Fortnite. I, 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 right. I, I, I've i kind of always felt that way about Batman though. I feel like Batman is like probably the like arguably the most malleable character in the Western canon. You know you can kind of shove him in any situation and just be like what, what's Batman going to do?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah absolutely. Um, if nothing else it'll be interesting and I'm excited for 151. Uh, they did say that um dc described it as a, con- a continuation of the story but also simultaneously a great jumping on point for new readers that could be a lie but um it's probably not like i'm gonna buy this for sure
3: so i, I think the thing that is most interesting to me is um you know i i i like I said, I've never read fables, but like because I I really liked The Wolf Among Us, like I've read a bit about it and I remember paying attention to when it was ending. Um and, you know, it didn't end because of any other reason than because the creative team was like ready to to put it to bed. Um so the fact that it's coming back now and picking, you know, seemingly picking up where it left off or whatever, that's like pretty exciting, you know? Like it's it's cool to see um a creator come back to like their kind of magnum opus that they had put to bed because they're like, you know what? turns out I have more to say, you know, that's, that's cool. That doesn't really happen very often. Um, I hope it's good.
0: And it is a gamble because, you know, fables has a, you know, a pretty good reputation. Um, And apparently they left it off at a really great point. If you come back to that and, you know, let's say it's just not as inspired or, you know whatever it's not as good that could hurt the legacy of the book and you know presuming that this creator maybe has the rights to it or something that could hurt their pockets down the road Mm, if the book is less popular because they brought it back and it just wasn't as good
3: yeah and i mean i guess it's the other the other side of that coin right is that like it could come back and find a new audience and potentially you know, get another, you know, get an adaptation to something that's a little bit more mainstream. Like who's to say,
0: well, uh, they found me with this announcement because I don't know when I was going to get to it. Otherwise, but now it's in my mind. So um, I'll definitely be picking this up and uh, I've got the, the hardcover. So I'll, I'll read that too. Yeah. Cool stuff. Uh, let's talk about something wildly different. So substack, is in the news recently uh and comics twitter is lit up about them so it's likely if you're listening to me now you don't know what substack is because i didn't know what substack was until this week uh substack is essentially a uh a business a business that uh, brings on writers to do newsletters that People then pay for. So it's a way to get you paid for newsletters that you put I don't think you have to pay for them. You don't. Yeah. You okay. Don't. But you can.
3: It's it's um, a lot like um Medium, you might be more familiar with if you're if you're listening. Like it's it's like a it's basically like a they host people's newsletters. Yes. In the way that YouTube, you know, could host your video channels or whatever.
0: And so they have decided to jump into comics. And so they've gotten into bed with Nick Spencer to um, basically get him to pitch the idea of comic book writers joining Substack. And essentially what that would look like is you would, they would, they would upfront new money to hire a creative team to work on a book that they would put out through Substack and the model of payment is the first year they recoup the money that they invested in you and the creative team. And then after that, they only take 10% of whatever your earnings would be um, from the, from the, the second year onward. Now, Substack has come under fire in the past for uh, what is alleged to be anti-trans, um, not policies, but uh, bringing on writers who uh, are allegedly anti-trans um, and not being transparent with the actual earnings because they're a, they're not a publishing company they're a technology a, a technology business that is using or hosting people's creative work, but they themselves have nothing to do with creativity And so a lot of people, Theorize that they um, pay, they actually like fake subscriptions, basically to inflate the amount of money that's actually going into the pockets of creators from fans. Similar to how Facebook was uh, lying about the number of clicks and views that view uh, that videos were getting, that news sites were putting up, and it completely screwed the industry. Um, We don't know if that's true or false with Substack, but that's a rumor. So to take it back to comics, they're teaming up with Nick Spencer. He's the pitch man to get writers to come on board. The reason why people are pissed is because the presentation of this idea is that uh, writers are the primary point person in a creative team they're only hiring writers the writers go and find the artist and the letterer and everybody else put a team together to tell the story of the writer's vision and then substack puts it out or they put it out via substack that's why people are so upset uh the assumption that comics is a writer first industry uh kale you're making a face do you have a response
2: no okay
0: Next story then. <laughs> that was the most loaded
2: no I've ever heard. <laughs> well, I don't know. I can speak it. Of- I can see I can see that point of view uh from the people who are upset at Substack, but I also feel like I can see sub- the point of view from Substack in, in in regards to the writer uh being sort of the point person. I, I kind of, it's tough. It's tough because, like, uh, you know, I, get, I guess, you know, is our substat, is sub substat gonna uh, turn away artists who come to them with a good idea or an assembled team and they're the point person? I, it's, I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I have w- w- weird conflicting, uh, thoughts about that because, and, and I, I I don't want to speak broadly, but like mostly the writer kind of is right. Like, you know, uh, I guess you, you could make an exception about like editors who, you know, keep everything on track and, you know, maintain communication and, and get the book together and things like that. Uh, but again, that could be anybody on the team. But most, mostly, it's the writer who you know has that initial idea, and then seeks out the team for collaboration. So maybe the issue is one of collaboration.
0: So uh, you know what? Go ahead, Pete.
4: Yep.
3: I think I think I am inclined to. Um... I don't necessarily even say want to say agree with what Kale's saying because, like, I, I feel like you're not necessarily making like a drawing a line in the sand, but
2: uh, yeah, I, I'm I'm talking it out because I I, f- I feel very of two minds about it.
3: Yeah, and I think I I get where you're coming from, and and I think as much as I understand uh, where the critics are coming from as well, I I'm inclined to feel like this feels like a story of a little bit of much to do about nothing where it's like, when you think about what substack is in its current, um, what it is today. Right. Mm -hmm. And, and they have this desire to expand into comics. Um, substack is a writer's platform, Mm. right? Like the platform is about writing. It's about, um, following writers who cover a specific thing that you're interested in. And basically like, when I think of Substack, I think of its primary purpose as being for independent journalism. Um, right now. And you know, them wanting to expand into other areas and and you know, getting into like fiction and doing comics and and you know, trying to foster other areas of interest within their community, um that makes sense for them as a platform and for them to want to expand out to other writers because that's who they've historically worked with. That makes sense to me too. That doesn't feel as much as of, of a um a snub on, like, artists as much as I feel like people are maybe making it out to be. And who's to say? I might be speaking uh, out of turn, whereas, you know, we learn more about the company and, and how they operate. And, you know, if there is a situation where, you know, uh, uh it's an artist who has a vision and comes to them and they're like, oh, well, we're not interested in that. Sure. Then that's a different conversation. Yeah. Um but on the onset that doesn't really feel like anything cuz yeah. The idea that like it's a writer coming with a story to pitch yeah, that's generally how it works. And if it's the artist with the one who is if the artist is the one who has the pitch and then they go and get a writer to write the script like there, there's a path forward for that, right? Like we've seen that in comics before. They get a co-creator credit. Maybe they get a co-writing credit, even though it's story by, script by. That happens all the time. So as long as they're open to that, that doesn't feel like a snub at all. It feels like um, probably coming more from a place of ignorance than from like them making some kind of statement.
1: Yeah, I I, I, I agree with that. I think it's very much like... a this is how they operate from a business perspective anyway. So to bring in a comic writer to help them with a comic initiative, it's fun on Substack's and presumably business as usual, because you work with those writers uh, outside of comics, just generally, right? Like that is the platform. So because you're doing that, you're moving that same model to comics. And um, I think if down the line, it's probably like, they'll have a transitional period where, hey, this won't just be the writer as a point person. It'll be anybody amongst the team who has something worth that they feel and that Substack feels is worth putting out there. But as of right now, this if this is how they, they operate regularly and they're just looking to expand out, they're just working within the, the confines that they always have been. Um, and if that's not necessarily prioritizing an artist, um, or giving that priority to a, to a writer at this point, um, I'd agree that, yeah, it's, it's a, it's an ignorance piece of, well, you, there are other ways to do it, but this is how we've, we've always done it right now. This is what works. This is what we're going to do, but for comics.
0: So for the sake of presenting the argument appropriately, I'm going to assume the role of those who have been critical of this Um So, first of all, this is comics. And comics is as collaborative a medium as there is. And it's weird to want to get into comics as Substack but know so little that you don't even realize that or that you don't realize how that would come across to the creators who you need to court Mm -hmm. to do this work. Um, because it's not only artists who would be offended by that, because a lot of writers in the industry understand you know, the, 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 ne- the need, obviously, for artists and, and might not be comfortable working with Substack just because of the bad first impression. Uh, comics creators are you know, sensitive, as all creators are, and it's easy to put people off when you approach them this way. I think that it would have been a lot easier and have made a lot more sense if you're going to collaborate with Nick Spencer on this to say, hey, reach out to creators in general and put the word out that we're doing this, not just writers, um, Yeah, and open that door. Because if all they are is an idea farm and that's all they want, ideas can come from anybody. It doesn't have to be the writer who has the idea. What if an artist comes to them with an idea that's fully fledged and put together and has a, and has a writer attached? does the writer have to be the one to present the idea in order for it to get over? That's a little weird. Um, So I think that there's a lot of ways they could have approached it differently. I'm also not surprised that creators in general would be opposed to the idea of a tech company uh, coming into the fray and saying, yeah, we're going to use your ideas to uh, for essentially just for content. You know, Um, it comes across as hollow and, that's not the kind of thing that um, comics creators are going to be inherently inclined to be interested in. So I think those are the primary things that I saw as what people were saying. Um, As far as my opinion on it, I do think there's a level of sensitivity that is high. that doesn't need to be. Um, But at the same time, comics artists should get more, um, they don't get enough recognition sometimes. Yeah. And that doesn't feel great. And this feels probably like yet another slight. And I saw yeah. creators that I respect, artists that I respect very much, essentially saying that.
3: Yeah. And and I, um, despite what I said earlier, which I do stand by, like I think that I also get that. Because I think that um, I do think that there are a lot of instances where comic artists are treated like second-class creators you know um like they uh it reminds me a lot of the way that like you'll see um people talk about like bands right where it's like the lead singer and the rest of the band you know or like oh the this guy's the band leader they're the real they're the important person and everybody else is you know yeah they're in the band they're around they're along for the ride but they're not as important And I I think that comic artists are often treated that way. We talk about how colorists, nobody even knows their names, you know, Um, letterers, like, please, they're not getting their name read out. That's not happening. Um, But, like, it reminds me of, like, just, like, a week or so ago, I saw somebody in our our sphere uh, retweet this um where the amazon prime account had tweeted about invincible and was like oh like you know we we big thanks to robert kirkman for creating both the invincible comic and the tv show and then someone retweeted and was like oh i didn't realize robert kirkman was an artist and a colorist
1: <laughs> yeah.
3: and you know that that's no shade at robert right robert didn't say it um robert's the first one in his in an interview to bring up his collaborators um however to the world at large he created the walking dead he created invincible right nobody knows who fucking ryan otley is nobody knows who charlie adler is nobody knows those people um and that's bullshit you know uh nobody knows cory walker who's the co-creator of invincible designed all the characters you know the original characters um but
0: that doesn't matter i guess so i i get it I think that, that that's a problem that uh, probably can't go away. Uh, artists, obviously, were were the driving force behind comics in the 90s. And it's weird. It's, it's wild how much that has changed. But the reality is that um, the reasons why people look to comics have changed over the last uh, 30 years. Um, I think that now people don't look to comics for the art in the same way that they did in the nineties. You, you, especially when you're a kid, right, you buy a comic book, you don't even necessarily understand all of the words or know exactly what's going on. You might've picked up the book at your grocery store and you've never even seen a comic book before, but the cover's crazy. And Jim Lee's the artist. So you're like, yep, this is cool. This is amazing. Uh, And that's how it was. Um, And now I think, you know, you come, a lot of people come for the writer, they come for the story. What's the story? As comic stories have been taken more seriously over the years, and there's been an emphasis on that, I think artists have unfortunately taken a back seat. Also, a lot of the job that an artist does is behind the scenes. Not all of their work is what you see in the sense that a lot of times artists have great ideas that enhance the story. A lot of times writers don't even understand their story fully until they see it on the page because the artist added this thing or that thing or spiced it up in this way that changed things. Um, Those are things that are hard to give credit to an artist for just because that's the behind the scenes creative process. You know? that not everyone's interested in. So I think it's tough to break that cycle that Pete laid out. But uh, I do think that as fans, we can do a better job of being, and and, and not even fans, like forget that, like people who talk about comics, whether you're a reviewer or, you know, whatever, if you're talking about a comic, you should know who the creative team is, the whole team.
3: Yeah, yeah. And I I think... I think that's something we've gotten better about over time and like, there's still a lot of room for improvement. Um, And I know that we do it better than a lot of our peers. So um, yeah. Yeah. I think just give credit where credit's due.
0: Let's talk about Comic-Con. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to talk about Comic-Con because (laughs) read pop is getting into the subscription service business.
3: Sure.
0: Who isn't right. So let me ask you this. All right. Would you pay $65 a year? (laughs) (laughs) Nope. Oh, okay. All right. uh, We'll move on. No. uh, Cool. So the Eiseners, huh? (laughs) (laughs) Read pops offering what they're calling metaverse memberships, which are going to offer the following at the $65 tier. Access to live video and/or audio streams of most panels for NYCC, C2E2, Emerald City Comic Con, and MCM London, and VOD access for 30 days after the show. Access to purchase convention-exclusive merchandise. Access to unspecified digital celebrity and talent panels year-round, with exclusive access to at least one every three months. And a limited edition enamel pin for the Metaverse memberships. First of all, uh, This is interesting in the sense that they're offering the ability for you to watch the convention from home. So we've talked about how conventions are going to change now that uh, we are, you know, now that they're returning in the COVID era and what that has to look like. Being able to watch conventions from home is pretty cool. It's not the same experience as going to it. It's probably not a better one. But you know you do get to wash in your boxers or your underwear or whatever, uh, so there is that DC fandom offered that same thing for free, but you can pay for it if you want to for New York Comic Con. Uh, but that's the $65 tier. What if I told you there was a $99 tier? Let's- you could pay. <laughs> yeah I, I i believe it in your case you could pay hundred dollars and this is what you get access to that you don't in the $65 tier exclusive access to pre-sale events for tickets and badges to the aforementioned events two per membership per event first access to purchase photo ops and autographs 48 hours before they're available to the general public first at first access to purchase con exclusive merchandise so essentially if you spend $99 a month or a year, imagine $99 a month, $99 a year on this subscription, you get access to buy things early. You get access to spend money before other people can spend their money. That's it. Spend more money. And Charge. I'm
1: all about scarcity, okay? If you can't have it, I want it. Okay. <laughs> so and, uh, but before-
2: and that sums up Marco's position on NFTs. <laughs>
3: <laughs> um I I think the the ninety nine dollar price point. Um, I, I agree with everything you're saying. Like that's you know whatever you're paying for to be a VIP so that you can buy stuff before other people. If that's the kind of collector you are. I guess that's what you want to do with your money. Fine, whatever. Uh, th- to talk about like the the actual you know thing of it, right? Like this as a service overall. I think this is actually a really good idea. Um, I think we talked about this. Um when we discussed the return of of New York Comic Con earlier this year and everything, um, and even before that, San, Di- San Diego, uh, there are a lot of people who want to, who want to experience convention events or, you know, convention culture or whatever, um, that can't go to a convention, right? Um, whether that's, you know, because of like health restrictions or, you know, um, financial restrictions, right? Like maybe you can afford the ticket, but you can't afford, to fly to New York and get a hotel and stay there for a week and all that shit right whatever it is whatever it is um this being an opportunity for you to experience the parts of a convention that are not physical right like being able to get the exclusive swag being able to go to the conven- uh the panels and and all that stuff like that is it that's a big reason that people go to conventions you know um so the idea that that people who are either limited from their health or their financial situation or or their their location um, can still be a part of the event uh, at, at whatever capacity they they feel like they want to up for that 65 dollars that doesn't feel unreasonable and I don't feel like it's an unreasonable amount of money um, sixty five dollars a year to get access to four yeah four of the biggest conventions that happen annually. It's pretty good.
1: But the price of like a Saturday ticket. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I will say the $99 one I think is unreasonable just because it doesn't offer you much more than what you could get on the 65. Like if you're already going to be paying $65 to not go to C2E2, Emerald City, New York City, whatever, then why bother getting the exclusive early access to get the, the ticket access? I feel like that's probably um, a little backwards on that, uh, on that part. And then if if you're really into photo ops and autographs, cool. I mean, that's, that's something that, that works for you. But if you're just there for what I feel like a lot of people go for, which is panels and just to be like amongst sort of the floor and what's going on. I think that the $65 for all four is pretty worth it, especially if you're not, you're only going to go to one of these. I'm presumably only going to go to New York City Comic-Con, but I can't go to any of the other ones, or I probably won't, then maybe I'll just take a peek if I have access to this um, and see what's going on, see what the news is, see it in real time, and um, be able to, to whatever limited capacity, be able
0: to experience the same thing. Uh, I I really dislike this. Um, I definitely see the point about people who can't physically attend but i don't think that a subscription is the way to solve that i mean think i think it's the way to solve their financial woes more than anything yeah. um because you know we have seen that you can do live video uh and audio from these and they've off- it's been offered as free services in fact uh repop themselves did that they ho- they hosted uh comic con online uh in 2020 San Diego had Comic Con at home. Uh, DC Fandom had their thing, so and all of those things were free access. So uh, that's a little frustrating. Um, I think that if if it's you know if it's a concern about people's ability to access the event, uh, yeah, why not give them free video? I think you know the premium price that you pay to go to Comic Con is about the totality of Comic Con. Uh, And then you could make the convention-exclusive merchandise purchasable without a subscription. Uh, The digital celebrity and talent panels year-round, that's a little murky. I don't know if that's uh, a a part of this that comes that you get for free or if it's something that you have to pay an additional price point for. It sounds like it's included, but... Yeah. It sounds um, like it's included. <laughs> yeah. And then the pin, okay, you know, I guess. Uh it just feels like you're like, what is it? It, it works out to like what five around five bucks a month, somewhere in that of uh, realm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh yeah, four. I, I can't imagine having, you know, the typical I would say the average person probably has like three subscription services uh, that they're, you know, paying for annually. I can't imagine adding this to my stack. Granted, I don't need it. Um and I think that's the thing. I don't think it's the thing
3: the average person would do. You know, I feel like this is definitely like a niche
0: market that this mm-hmm. caters to. Which is I'm- why I think it would be better if it wasn't paywalled and they Did this in a way that allowed everyone to have access to the streams because then it Mm. might actually encourage people who don't go to Comic-Con for reasons that don't have anything to do with restrictions to go because it's fun and it looks cool. Yeah, there are all these things that could happen and then selling the convention exclusive merchandise like why does it need to be exclusive, you know, Mm. like put when the convention happens put that shit up online Uh, when you go to WrestleMania. You know, there's nothing there that you can't buy on online on the online store that same weekend. You know, they make as much money as they can. And yeah. I don't understand why if you're trying to make money and you're read pop, you wouldn't make as much money as you can. Sell I, the merchandise to anybody that wants it.
3: They've experimented with that in the past. I remember the last like I want to say twenty nineteen maybe, and they did it last year too, where they, they had like the New York Comic Con exclusive merch and it was like at you know um you could buy it at hot topic like that month you know and like shit like that yeah. um so I, I wonder if we might not see that happen um but to your point well, we with, can't now. with this right yeah, yeah this this does potentially change that up um yeah i don't know it's one of those things where it's like to marco's marco was joking about it before but i mean it works right uh scarcity drives demand yeah. and people buy shit that they wouldn't buy if it wasn't limited.
1: I think like while, while I don't agree with the paywall piece, it makes sense on their end to recoup whatever loss they can't because presumably you're still and this is going to be depending on the state, depending on like how comfortable the venue is, how comfortable the people are, you're going to see a decrease in volume. And there, this is a potential to recoup on some of that lost volume. I, I, I don't know why they wouldn't do it per event. It feels like, um, like this is something like a pay-per-view fight kind of situation for boxing, where you would pay for some sort of access to see something, and I feel like that makes um, that kind of model exists, and it it's somewhat being replicated here, obviously for a much more niche event than a sporting event, but um, uh, the subscription services interesting, because you know, we've, we've talked about this in the past, you know, you'll, you'll get you'll get it, maybe you'll forget about it, and maybe you want to access it. And that's consistent revenue. But I, I would think a, a fair price to pay per con to access like a stream and get all of these things would be like 45 bucks. I, I, I don't see. I, I don't see a world where they wouldn't switch to a per event sort of situation. Um, and maybe this is just because uh, the subscription service model is popular right now, that they haven't opted for that. I mean, um,
3: I think it's what you just said, though. I think it's that buying tickets for an event, that's a that's an obligation, right? Like, buying Comic-Con tickets is a pain in the ass every time you do it. Um, mm, and it's, okay. it's stressful every time you do it. Whereas if you're like, well... I go to Comic-Con every year for $60, which if you're in a certain financial bracket, right, which you can argue probably a lot of the people that go to Comic-Con regularly are like, I go to Comic-Con every year and spend way too much money on shit I don't need. It speaks to you having expendable income, right? So the idea that I, a regular Comic-Con goer, uh, would spend this sixty dollars that is probably a negligible amount of money, right? That's a video game, whatever. Uh, okay, I spent it; it's spent. Now I don't have to worry about getting my tickets next time because I get to buy them before general admission. If I not, actually f-
0: not for that price, no, for, me, for the no. ninety. Oh, that's the
3: ninety-one.
1: Uh,
0: yeah. Okay,
3: yeah. my bad. I thought that was for both. Um, even so, though, right? Like, it eliminates that headache, and you have this idea of like. This is just a reoccurring thing. I don't need to do it. I don't need to think about it. It just happens. And if $100 or $60 is a negligible amount of money to you, then that's, you know, it's on, you set it and forget it. Um, And then you get those benefits, whatever they may be throughout the year. And if you take them up on them, great. If you don't, you don't. It's money that you weren't thinking about anyway. And for read pop, it's all money right in their pocket, right? And if you got it and then forget to cancel your thing and it renews for the next year, they keep you on the hook.
0: Some lame business tactic. Yeah, and for I sure, think that it works, um, they it works though. So- yeah, <laughs> I think it, it might work, but I don't think that that's a good way to generate goodwill with people. For sure, um, I think that offering a service that's worthwhile would be the way to go. Um, some kind of discount at concessions would be cool. Uh, that might be tough for them to do, but that would be great. I think saving, offering people the ability to save money is always positive or like discounts AMC, on the gear. The exclusive stuff would be cool. Discounts on the swag. Uh, AMC stubs is a great example, $20 a year, I think. And every time you make a purchase, you get banked, you know, um, uh, discounts points, that you can right? use. yeah, exactly. Um, And you don't pay for the fees. They waive the fees. Like, there's so many things about it that are like, this is worth me having, you know? And these kinds of memberships that don't give you access, they're not content-based primarily. um, Like, the difference between this and Netflix, right? Um, Need to have incentive and ways for you to make it valuable for you over time. You know, the usage over time. Like, I should keep this. And not cancel it after NYCC because it also gives me this. And there's nothing like that.
3: The fact that they're not like archiving the footage doesn't help. Like if it was like you get access to the library and it was every year's Comic-Con events, you know, and you could go back. That would be useful for journalists. That would be useful for, you know, um, your CBRs and whatever, right? They would have a subscription to this then, you know, because it would be, oh, cool. We have all that footage handy. Great.
0: Yeah, but it's not that. <sighs> Unfortunately, not. But we'll see. I'm I'm gonna go out on a limb and say that this will not exist anymore. Uh, five years from now. Interesting. I don't hmm. know that
3: I agree. I think that you're there's a potential that um, that you're you're correct there. I could see it evolve and and change because yes. I I think that I really do think that um, with maybe better incentives or a better price point that I could see this being something that people would would flock to, but remains to be seen.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, there's a lot that they could be that could be fixed here and expanded upon. And if this is the first iteration of that, um, I I I just see like opportunity to add to it to make it more
0: worthwhile. All right. Well, uh, we're going to close out today with the Eisner Award uh, nominations. Those have been revealed this week, Uh, and uh, there was, again, lots of uh, anger and frustration on Comics Twitter about some of the uh, nominated folks and who wasn't, who weren't nominated. Uh, We're not going to go over the entire list, of course. That would just be nuts. Um, but there are so many categories and uh so many creators that are nominated, and it's awesome to see uh all these different names getting recognized for their work. Uh so for best continuing series, Bitter Root is nominated, uh Daredevil's nominated, Department of Truth is nominated, Gideon Falls, Stillwater. And Yusagi Yojimbo. That's a tough category. Shout out to
3: Chip Zdarsky for having two books in it. Yeah. No less. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's legit as fuck.
0: <laughs> as a writer. Yes. Outrageous. You know, this this dude completely shifted gears. Yeah. Uh,
3: he went from being one of the hottest up and coming artists to one of the hottest writers.
0: <laughs> yeah. Unreal uh i would uh i would go with daredevil
2: i'd go with usagi but that's bias i haven't even touched the new stuff yet well i haven't touched usagi
0: so
3: cool to see it on the list though yeah for sure um i love to see so many image books
0: i mean yeah. that's just you know that's just what it is right yeah i always feel like these lists are a little bit uh hoity like yeah like
3: indie dominated because it's very like yeah i get
0: this year i didn't feel as much this year i thought that they they definitely were more open to hosting uh marvel and dc titles in the best limited series category uh far sector was nominated mm-hmm. which that that book is phenomenal um, and I, I would love to see you know. it win. Yeah, like almost, three, yeah, three DC books. Yeah,
3: I was gonna say almost every book in that category is DC. Um, yeah. yeah, it's also Strange Adventures and Superman's Pal Jimmy Olsen.
0: Yep. Um, Black Widow got the nod for best new series. So did Crossover. Yeah, crossover. Uh, we only find them when they're dead. Is up there. Philadelphia and Department of Truth. Uh, we only find them when they're dead. Is tremendous. And, is it? Uh, yeah. I really enjoy it.
1: Oh man, I, I fell off it. I, I something about the art. I I don't know. I couldn't keep up with it. Interesting. Did, has um, anyone been in Philadelphia? No,
3: no. I've been
0: I've been hearing really good things about. Yeah.
3: it. Yeah, makes me want to check it out.
0: Yeah. Well, you're you're living in Philadelphia now, so I know. Might as well get familiar with what your <laughs> neighborhoods like. I gotta get in on this. <laughs> yeah, um, maybe participate. So uh, this is where. Things started to get uh, dicey for people. Um, the best writer category uh, does not feature a woman or a, uh, well, it does feature James Tinian, who is uh, a gay man. But other than that, um, you know, everybody here is uh, a white guy. So Ed Brubaker was nominated. Uh Matt Fraction was nominated. Jonathan Hickman was nominated. Jeff Lemire was nominated. James Tinian, as I said, and Chips Zdarsky was. They, those were the nominees for Best Writer. And I have something to say about this. Uh, I think, first of all, that it's pretty whack to see your peers nominated and your thought is, oh, these guys aren't the ones who are deserving of this these x people are more deserving um i think that it's crazy to look at that list and not think or or to think that anyone that's there doesn't deserve to be there those are some of the i mean that that is an amazing list like I'm sure that each one of us could think of like one or two people that we would add. But who would you not? Who would you take off? I think that's the bigger thing. Yeah. Is
3: that like I I don't feel like any of these people don't deserve to be on the list. Right. Right. Yeah. Obviously, there's dozens of other people who are doing great work that deserve to be acknowledged as well. Um, But I don't think that the answer to that is to say that, oh, like these these folks don't deserve to be on the list.
0: And I don't, I'm like, we just did the interview with Jeremy Holt. I stand by every single thing I said and always say on this podcast about diversity, and how important it is. But I don't think that just adding a woman or a minority or a non binary or anything like that for the sake of representation does a service to representation when it's not earned. And I guess like, I'm not saying that there are no women or, or or any other sort of person who deserves the nod, but I'll be honest with you, I can't think of a of a person of that type right now that I think is putting out work that stands alongside shoulder to shoulder these creators. I just I just can't. You know, like I've loved Far Sector, NK Jemison is doing a great job. That's their only book. And again, while I've loved it, I don't know that I that I think um I I don't know that from a volume perspective you can put that person up against what James Tinian has done this year.
3: I think the volume perspective is probably a good um thing to consider in this conversation too. Cause I think when you look at at this list of creators, like all of them are all people that I think, you know, you can really can't make an argument aren't at the top of the field right now. Um, but also are all people who are putting out a lot of work. That that's is all, good. that is all, all at least above average to great. Um, which is, you know, I think that's, that's part of this conversation as well. Right. And that's why you have like multiple different kinds of, categories you know um because like i i I think that 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 there is an argument to be made for that where it's like you want to look at the people who are doing the best work and when you have like a short list of people who are putting out like a ton of high quality work you know, yeah, I mean, it's a competitive field right now. You know, like, I I, we, we, I made the point earlier this year that I actually think that this is one of the... I mean, this is talking about last year's stuff, but um, I think we're, like, in a, a really strong period right now where, like, there are a lot of young, talented artists that are on the come-up um, that might be on this list next year or two years from now, you know? Um, but some of these other people that are, you know, more established... And are not quite the old guard. But are definitely no longer the new guard. They're kind of in that period right now. You know.
0: Right. Is there anyone like Marco Kale. Do you guys disagree with what uh, I put down. Or
1: mm, I don't think so. I mean. If it comes down to quality. I feel like I'm probably not picking up any of the books. That uh, are being led by. Some female creator. Um, so I can't speak to the quality there but i i think it's a good list i mean shit they're talented like i can't knock them for that
3: that's the big thing for me mm. it's like it's not a matter of saying that there aren't other creators that should be on this list it's I, i'm more disagreeing with the sentiment of i don't think that that acknowledgement of hey why are why is everyone on this list a white man has to be at the expense of um these creators talent because they are good and they deserve the recognition, um, I think you can have both of those conversations.
2: I think too. You know, it's similar to the uh, the film awards, the the uh, uh, what do you call them, the Emmys. The you know, it's okay. It's it's you know who who is picking this list, right? Like if it's you know a group of. I mean for the sake of the argument if it's a group of white people well, I mean maybe that's where they lean I, I don't know like but it you know it's a group of people who read a ton of things every year and this is the stuff that stood out to them right so I mean it's it's not an exhaustive li- like it's an exhaustive list of every good thing that came out
0: right
3: yeah, you're highlighting some of the strongest uh, work of the year. And at the yeah. end of the, the day, there can only be so many people on the
2: list. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. Even if you add one space, what does that do to the list, right? Like, who can say?
0: Yeah, like if I had one space, if I could, if I could simply add one person to this list, would that person automatically be – uh, a, a, pers- uh, a, a person of color. No, you know, it wouldn't automatically be anything other than the first creator. I think of who's been killing it this year. Who's not already here, you know? Um,
2: and that but, said, like the writer artist category is chock full of, yeah, you know, people of color and, and you know, uh, also all sorts of uh, varying people and you can even see that by their name like you know um jean luen yang like i mean that's that's right there mm-hmm. You know,
3: and there's like an argument to be made that like is Gene Lunyang not in the best writer category because they're in this category, right? Like, yeah, you know, yeah. like yeah, like well, they're a, they're a multi threat, so you wouldn't put that or like Junji Ito, right? Yeah. Like, if Junji Ito wasn't an artist, would 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 they be in best writer? Maybe, I, you know.
0: Yeah, and and you know, we can we can have a conversation about. Uh, you know, maybe 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 there needs to be a look at who the judges are or whatever the case may be. Mm. Honestly, I contend that things like this are dumb. Yeah. Uh, outside of the ability to recognize the creators in a formal sense for their work. Um, I think that this is ridiculous. I think it's weird to get up in arms about it in general. And I, it's not just the Eisner's. It's all award ceremonies. I think they're odd. It's odd that people get invested. Um, but I can't understand how if you're a creator, you sit there and you decry the work of your peers for a list that they didn't put together.
3: It you know, yeah. has
0: nothing to do with them.
3: Yeah, I I just I don't I don't think that that's I think it's the same as what we were saying earlier, but we were directing it at fans. Where I just don't think that's productive, you know. Um, I think if you want to yeah. criticize somebody, criticize the voting board, right? Don't criticize the creators who are being um acknowledged because, you know, I think I think I generally agree with you, Sean. And when it um, where award shows are concerned, that like I just don't think they matter in the grand scheme of things. Um, but. I also think that they are nice like it's nice to have a formal place where we can get together and celebrate um you know the achievements of the industry of the medium for the year and i i I do think that um to your point right that like there's nothing wrong with having uh misgivings about the list or your own critiques of it or 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 you know feeling like there should be a conversation about who gets to make those decisions Yeah, I'm. I'm here for any of those conversations, but I don't think you have to have that conversation um, at the expense of those who have been chosen by the current voting board and who are who are having their work acknowledged. Because you know, for some of them, I'm sure that that is like um, you know an achievement that they're proud of or or something like that. And I I don't think you need to tear down other people's work to champion the people who you
2: feel like are not getting recognition, uh, but deserve it. And even still, like things like this, like the Eisner's, the Emmys, the Oscars, whatever, like at their most cynical, they're to sell more things. They're to highlight things so more people will buy them. So a rising tide brings more ships or whatever that saying is like, you know, it's, it's good.
0: Yeah. I just feel like, You know, it causes so much strife. Like people are always so angry about these things when when the Emmys are on. Man, I hate Twitter.
2: Oh yeah, absolutely. Oh my god, you gotta get off Twitter. I mean, I think I think (laughs) it it very
3: much comes back to the. the, This is like a conversation we had like two weeks ago or whatever. It was whenever I was on the show last. Um, The the, the, people will take anything as an opportunity to. to create controversy or, or to vent negativity. Uh, And, you know, I think, I think for me, what I would rather focus on uh, in terms of, of, of this event and this announcement and everything is just that like, Hey, like what a great year we had for comics, right? Like, let's let's pat these creators on the back and, you know, to everybody who did great work that isn't on this list, like shout out to you too. You did great work too.
1: Or like, have have a thread where it's like, hey, like, yes, these guys are deserving, but people that I feel that you know are right up there. You know, here's my list of people that I think could deserve, and you guys should check these people out. Like, it put it in a positive way where yeah, you can you can spin it so that way people read more comics mm-hmm. regardless of what it is. How and, are you gonna get internet clout if you're not mad? You know what, Kale? That's You're the
3: other right. way to get clout is to be extremely positive. <laughs> okay.
2: I'm
1: here trying to and, shit, and Kale, you just got to take a big old, big old poop.
0: That was my thing, Marco, was, you know, I didn't see, and, um, you know, I'm sure someone did that, right? But I didn't see that. I all I that. saw was, yeah, all I saw was anger. And it could have been an opportunity. Like maybe I am ignorant, right? Maybe I don't know about a creator who's doing something genius and brilliant um, who's just not on my radar for whatever reason. And if you know about them, this is the perfect opportunity to shout that person out. Like, yep. Hey, this person should be on your radar. This person did great work. This, this and that that's the, that's the Eisner list right here. There are books on this list that I'm like, wow, I didn't know Andy Diggle was, was uh, doing a book. I haven't heard their yeah, name right? in a while. Shoot. I might have to buy that. That's what this list is. Make your own list. Don't worry about this list. Make your own list. If you feel like this list is shit, make your list. Who cares? This is fake. It's all bullshit, right? Like, it doesn't actually matter. So make your own list. We're trying to sell comics. Let's sell some comics. Your anger is not helpful. But your positivity, your, your support of the creators is helpful.
1: I want that plaque man
0: hey great there's like over a dozen categories I think that's a big problem too
3: Uh, and this is kind of my last note on this is that I think that there are a lot of people who think of like well I'm nobody and I have no clout nobody follows me so what I say doesn't matter but they'll use that voice to say negative shit and to try to tear down the shit that's frustrating them rather than like using like we all have a platform right like and everybody's is a different size but there you have your circle right if there's some comic some creator that you really love that you feel like is getting snubbed like and you're listening to this show right now come tweet at us about it come tell us right like that's what i want to hear like let me know what i should be checking out let me know what i'm missing um because yeah like i'm i'm totally here for the conversation that like there are other creators that are like just getting passed by, you know, um, we, we were talking earlier this episode about how, um, some of the best books we've been reading lately have been coming from, you know, my, um, d- different kinds of authors, authors that are not white straight men. Um, I certainly have read enough stories by white straight men in my day and I'm sure I'll read a lot more. So yeah. I'll, I'll, give me more. Tell me more. Tell me who to check out.
0: Yeah. And I think we'll leave it there. Um, please do write in with your thoughts about that. If there are, are creators' books that we haven't checked out yet that you think are worth our time, let us know. Um, and if you think we're totally wrong and off base on the issue, let us know. Uh, definitely go check out Made in Korea number one by Jeremy Holt. They put a lot of work into the book, as you heard in our interview, and it's worth your time. Um, the second issue and the reprint will be out on the 30th, so give that a look. And, um, Make sure that you guys are leaving us a follow, or review, and a rating on whatever platform you're listening to us on. If that happens to be YouTube, hit the subscribe button for free, share the video with your friends, like the video. All those things are free to do, and they help us out a lot more than they cost you. You can write to us at thecomicspounds at gmail.com. If you want to hang out with us, you can do so by joining our Discord server, where we're always having fun, interactive, and engaging conversations with you guys make sure that you are checking out our review shows. If you are a regular listener of the Comics Pals and you remember the good old days when you could listen to our reviews right here, they still exist. They're just not in the main show. So every week we put out reviews for the Marvel, DC, Boom, etc. books. And we also do image reviews every single Wednesday, day and date. So if you are interested in those things, definitely check us out on those reviews. If you're a follower of X-Men, you got to do it because that's the only place you're going to hear our spoiler-filled thoughts about those books. We're not going to come on here and spoil stuff for those books if it's not in the news. Um, So make sure you're doing that. And then uh, last but not least, I want to plug the book club, but I don't know what book club is next. Marco?
1: Multiversity is coming out.
0: There you go. End of the month. Last Tuesday of the month, Multiversity, Grant Morrison, lots of different artists. Great book. Check it out. Plugs, Pete. Thank you guys for joining
3: us here in another episode of the Comics Pals. If you want to connect with me, I'm at loud underscore Pete on Twitter and Instagram. Come chat with me about the uh, creators that you feel like you wanted to see on this list because I'd love to check out their work. Uh, if you want to get some more stuff from me, you can go check out uh, the v- video game podcast. I host the podcast every Monday, uh, lupots.com, where we get your podcasts. And if you want to go check out some of my music, you can go follow my band at Longfriend, I'm sorry, at LFTF, the band on Twitter, Long Friend, Time Friend. We just uh, shared a live set that we did up in Vermont uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's like 20 some odd minutes, like eight songs. So if you want to get a taste for what it would be like to see us live uh, now that that's a thing again, um, you can do that. Did you do the uh, 76ers? We, we did not play it there. Uh, but I have oh, some thanks. news on that. Uh might be coming to Spotify sooner than later. So
1: oh,
0: oh, shit. Cool.
1: All right. Nice.
0: Awesome. Uh Marco. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh it's too late. Marco, go
2: ahead. <laughs> you can find me at
0: Mr.
1: Marco Ademoto on Instagram and Twitter. Come talk to me about the Harvey Awards. Because the Eisner Awards are cool, but so are the I- Harvey Awards, and they have like some different variations of like even further D and Q shit, uh, Fantagraphics, whatever. Um, and somebody who deserves to be on any list, Stephanie Phillips, she's great. Kale, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram
2: at Toto Into. That's um, T O T O I and T O W. You can find Phil at Cyborg Bebop. Uh, That's C-Y-B-O-R-G-B-E-B-O-P
0: Plug your work Do I have some? That's the reason why you have the second slot, you shit Listen, I didn't make the show I did And if that's the reason why you have the second (laughs) slot (laughs) Uh, Listen, you're (laughs) Being very generous to to you Anyways You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram only at Sean Soapbox. Hit me up to talk about the comics that you're into right now. I am in love with this industry. And this has been one of my favorite years in comics. I feel like every week I read something that just knocks my socks off. And a lot of that is due to us doing so many reviews for so many different books, some of which I might never have read if it weren't for this podcast, like Made in Korea. So, loving comics, loving this podcast. Thank you guys for listening. With that, we're the Comic Style signing off. Take care, guys. See you next week.